Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on the 16th of November. It's a manga talkie time here with your good doy. I've forgotten how to say words. I'm a perfect hot podcast host if I can't say words. I'm Nick here with Quinn, who hopefully has a greater mastery of the English language than myself today because I'm very here and together and there's so much weird stuff to talk about gorbel double like i just <laughs> i speak in nothing but simlish today ergoratum ergoratum nick you <laughs> <laughs> there are a few people who are listening to the podcast who are very confused right now uh no i i can talk although i guess i i kind of have a small yeah. tangent related to that i've i've started and this is purely off of like just i was like i don't know why not I started learning German, uh, and I'm in a very, very, very basic level. Uh, okay. But I had to ask myself, I was like, why? Like, what are the things I'm most interested in doing after I learned German? Because it's different from, like, Spanish, where I'm like, well, that just has a practical nature, really, in sort of, like, the general and, like, environment of our city and, like, in our country. Uh, and yes. then Japanese, I was like, well, that can help out with the podcast. Uh, this one, I realized the only real reason I want to learn is because I want to meet the two German TikTok magicians. <laughs> who this is a joke like a reference to a very 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 small portion of our audience might get but they're these two german tiktok magicians i really love and i'm like if i meet them i want to let them know that i love them (laughs) (laughs) i need to know how to say it so uh couldn't you just like memorize the one phrase so they (laughs) I mean, I'm already there. I've already learned one one sense. I might as well learn the whole fucking language. Oh, gotcha. No half measures for you. Uh, and also, we have a very, uh, very vibrant German community in our Discord. And I was like, we do. I should, yes. I should, I should educate myself. Uh, I want to give a special thanks to one of our community members, Mandela, who sent a box of really cool stuff uh, this past week. Uh, one of which being this little stuff, Nanami. Uh, from Jutsu Kaisen. He's adorable, and I can sleep on him and use him as a pillow. So then it's like he's always protecting me. Uh, and also, I got honey mustard. They sent honey <laughs> mustard, and it was phenomenal. I've used it on so much. It's absolutely delicious. So, <laughs> a huge, a gigantic thank you. <laughs> Our audience gets this. Uh, I, this is undeniable. Yes. <laughs> There were there were like fun little Japanese snacks, and then there was like honey mustard, and I was like, these Japanese snacks are very very cute. This honey mustard is being used for lunch. I'm <laughs> making that clear. Uh, you're like, oh, like look, I had like fettuccine alfredo that I was gonna have, and it was gonna be great, but now it's gonna be incredible. Yeah, and there's an item in there that both of us get. Because uh, there, mm-hmm. uh, Mandela also sent a package to you that I just sent out earlier this week, uh, and I I opened it up because Carito Prime, a friend of the show, uh, who's probably a little too horny for his own good, uh, also sent me things previously, and uh, my ADD brain was just like, I'll get around to sending these to Nick, and then eventually another thing came in I had to send to you. I was like, this is perfect. This is two tests in one. Like <laughs> that was a big serotonin hit at that point. So I op- Quinn's ability to plan ahead comes in again. <laughs> so I opened up that uh, to stick the stickers in uh, and saw something that's in there. And I was like, we both got one of these. So I'll save that for next week, though. Cool. 
Uh, yeah, I, assuming that the uh, the U.S. Postal System uh, come comes in through, which they should, they should, they should, they should, they should. But uh, yeah. we'll see. Should. What have they ever done us wrong, huh? Um, well, it depends. Uh, have, how many? How much have they been forced to slash their budget in the past year? It is amusing because I I so rarely go to the post office, and while I was there, I experienced like the two things that the post office is sort of known for. One being related to that point of just like them being there and they're like, yeah, they changed the whole fucking system again on us. Like, God damn it. <laughs> I'm so tired of this. Uh, but then the other thing being that the post office just oftentimes feels like you're sitting in hell, like just waiting uh, because there was a person in front of me and they just had like a, you know, like a 15 minute discussion about hair. And I was just like, you know what? I'm, I can't be angry. <laughs> I'm happy for you. <laughs> like, I know I'm sitting here in the back, but I'll get around. Man, standing in lines is another reason I'm glad I don't go out anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, we we do have manga to talk about today. Um, but I uh, thought we were taking week... this week off. No, oh, I thought no. We were, I thought we were just doing the wrestling game and then we were done. All right, that's fine. That's... I mean, I, so, certain parts of my energy level would like it if we could do that. <laughs> but then, you know, next week, Nick will get mad at today, Nick. Yeah, and, I'm like, uh, Nick, you have two chapters of Eden Zero to say every, everything. Two chapters of literally every series except for the ones that are off this week. <laughs> <laughs> Like getting through two chapters of One Piece alone will be exhausting and confusing for me. Yeah. So we don't have My Hero Academia this week, nor do we have Black Clover this week. No, we probably won't have Black Clover for a little bit longer. I think we may get like one. I think it's off for like two weeks. It's got like a weird schedule kind of coming up. Hmm. Which uh, it is kind of weird to be at a point now where I'm like, oh, there's no Black Clover this week. But that's that's what this do, you know arc has done to me where it's like oh it's good and i'm invested in what happens and want to see where this goes and then there's my hero academia which i've usually been like really all about and i'm like all right um so so who are we following this week because uh, it seems like we're gonna cut it over to someone else any given second and uh yeah but we're not talking about those this week we are however talking about undead unluck Yes, we have Undead Unluck number 135, Psychopod. 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 Much more successful podcast than us. Yeah, there probably is a podcast just called Psychopod, and it's two white guys. I mean, analyze media. Look it up. I bet it's real. Uh,. <gasps> is this an open thing for anybody to take hang on let me do a it was a yeah this will look like there is a podcast named specifically psychopod all right well so, guys mm. now is your opportunity to start your podcast called psychopod and we've just name dropped it like seven or time seven or eight times on this podcast alone so like think of the huge numbers you'll get <laughs> from people just being like i wonder if that's a podcast no, there's plenty of like different uh, podcasts that have talked about, you know, different things called Psycho, but then it's like, you know, it's like it's their their podcast is called Pod Something and it's just like, you know, they're talking about, you know, Psycho or whatever. So I always like to think cuz there's like a big thing right now, like you can't just 
we got in in like a very different time of podcasts and like podcasts now you really can't just be like very general you have to be very kind of distinct in what you do and i always like to think of like those hyper niche podcasts that very quickly realize like ah, i shouldn't have done this like <laughs> there's not a lot like being like all right we're gonna do a podcast covering all of the the, the fucking like gremlins movies you're like shit there's only like two of these <laughs> what the fuck have we gotten ourselves into yeah uh you're right thank you and as as someone who has occasionally thought of like oh i've got a different idea for like a thing that i could do a podcast about and then it's like oh god doing podcast takes so much energy <laughs> you're not wrong you're not wrong i don't have time for this i don't have time for this anymore i'm not 20 i can't just be like sure i'll do one a day <laughs> oh my god that was a dark time in our lives um yeah. So the chapter opens up with Foucault basically showing Nico the uh, schematics for the psychopods, these sort of black orb-like things that he used to have floating around him and used to fly around on and all that sort of stuff. And he's like looking through it. He's immediately picking up what she's putting down. He's like, oh, wireless control via brainwaves, blah, 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 blah. He's like, what is this? And she's like, you're asking me? You're the one who made it. He's like, me? She's like, yeah. In fact, you used all 11 of them by yourself he's like that's so weird but also amazing that's i'm crazy. amazing yeah <laughs> he's like what else did i make she's like oh, a huge laser to kill god and i just like he's like yeah i could see myself making that <laughs> uh, i mean i feel like a lot of mad scientists could just be like yeah i'd make a huge laser to kill god sure yeah. why not and then she's like oh and also the device that alters people's memories via satellite He's like, I can't believe you let me make something like that. Is your organization really on the up and up? This is kind of weird with human rights. She's like, no, no, you've got it all wrong. It's necessary part for our operations. And there's a whole story behind it. And then we cut to a flashback of her like walking with Juez and going over this and like, oh, yeah, there's like, didn't he make a device to alter memories? And it's like, yeah, apparently he originally made it for his own personal use. And it's like, why would you do that? Like, well, I assume he planned on using it himself to safeguard a very precious memory. So we cut back to the present. It's it's looking at a Chico. And cut back to the present. And Fugo's like, but I can't tell you. <laughs> and I do like Nico's just like, you're really starting to lose my trust. All right. Like, <laughs> we need to stop having these points where you're like, I can't tell you what's going on. Secret secrets hurt someone. Yeah. But she's like, can you do it? And he's like, I mean, Yes. But I can't do it because this is extremely difficult. Like, I have a shitty laboratory here. I can't possibly do that. And she's like, all right, well, let's move then. And just shatters, like, the ground. And they teleport into, like, a, na a lab. And Fuku's like, yeah, these are all things that I've made. And he's like, you did all this? Like, yeah, I'll, I've had a lot of time on my hands. So I used it to, you know, start studying information on the artifacts and put some things together. But, you know... It's ultimately just because of you that we even got this far. And he's like, uh, Nico's just like, I'm an egoist, meaning I'm self-centered by nature. I only want to know what I want to know. I forget about everything else. I may not be able to remember, but I can already tell that this union of yours helped me grow, didn't it? And... Foucault's, of course, a little silent there. We get, like, this weird, like... I don't know. There's probably a German word I haven't learned yet for that feeling of like 
<laughs> him being like, and I'm fine with forgetting things. Like, well, buddy, <laughs> just you need things to stay on the right track then. Uh, but he's also like, hey, look, Fuko, I, I need materials. I need money. Like, these things won't happen. And Fuko fucking looks at it. I think the phrase you're looking for is dramatic irony. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, I bet there's a German word for it. Like, douchematic irony. <laughs> Douchematic? <laughs> they have like weird vowel sounds for everything. Nick, Nick, I've spent a little more time studying German than you do. I think I know what I'm talking about. She said after coining the phrase, douchematic <laughs> I swear to God, if any of the Germans in our in our group is like, what are you talking about, Nick? That's completely correct. <laughs> Everyone's like, douchematic, you know, it makes sense. <laughs> Um, Fuko's like looks at like the amount and is just like here you go please let me know if this is enough and hands Nico a check for 25 billion dollars Fuko you can't just hand a check to someone for this much money <laughs> and I love her you can't, you've got to get a money order at least I love her fucking her smiley little face just like ah, here you go because it's like a child has just written out 25 bajillion (laughs) dollars pretty much yeah i I imagine the bank's gonna have a little tough time cashing us although from what we find out maybe fuko's a wide well like a worldwide known enough entity that people are like yeah i guess it makes sense because obviously the question is like how do you have this much money and fuko's like well, I just used artifacts to help me figure out where they'd be like really rich natural resources and bought that land and then became a stupid, powerful billionaire. And I know, I know what everyone's saying. All billionaires are bad, but Foucault is actively using it to save the world and kill God, which is usually antithetical to like the billionaire agenda. So I think she might be okay for now. Plus, she's giving it all away so far. So I don't know. We'll keep our eyes out on that one. Yeah. The <laughs> no billionaires are innocent, but with Fuko, we can at least say the jury is still out. Yeah, so. we're giving her some time. We're gonna find out, you know. Uh we cut over to London, uh where Chico is there and she is very, very tired, saying she hasn't been able to sleep a wink in the past three days, mm-hmm. and her unsleep has finally activated uh, explain everything, and then we get a little narration saying that in the previous loop, she passed out due to exhaustion caused by unsleep and fell into a train track while a train was pulling in, and she was saved by somebody who came and picked her up, but that person died as a result. However, today... Yes. And, like, it fits the undead unluck tragedy circle of, like, sad backstory. Not crazy tragic, since this was just, like, a nice person, but, like, hey, somebody died because of this thing. Uh, and also they were my brother <laughs> yeah uh but this time that does not happen because fuko shows up on the flying cloud and saves them both oh good old flying nimbus yes uh and she's just like hey miss nico uh so fuko has also basically just kidnapped the rest of the union science team pretty to much, start pretty working much. there and Nico, None of the rest of them were important enough to have their own focus. Yeah, there's Eye Patch guy, and I presume others. Um, but they're all kind of just lamenting, like this is a very difficult thing. Uh, Nico is working on these psychopods, and he's like, I can't figure out some of the stuff that's written on here. Why would we be using it? It doesn't make sense. 
And Chico shows up with Fuko, and she's like, Hi, always wired and wide awake. Pleasure to work with you. And we just get a shot of Nico and a Chico looking at each other, and Fuko's like, Oh, it's like I'm playing cute. It's like I'm playing Cupid. I did it, Miko. And Miko's like, I'm as good as born. And then immediately Nico's like, This is how you're dress yourself? Cover up those fucking breasts. She's like, No. And she's like, uh, maybe it didn't. <laughs> maybe it's not as easy as I thought it was. It's it's okay, Fuko. They they they're they're into each other. It's fine. Yeah, were just like this before. <laughs> uh, they basically are like, "Hey, we can start working things out. We're gonna use this device." They break off part of the Union emblem to be like, "I think this will help us like analyze and find the materials we're looking for." Uh, and Fuko or uh, Fuko is even like, "Yeah, I think it's okay for you to snap this off of like the Union emblem. I think this is why the Union emblem came along for the ride." And uh nico sits down starts powering up the psychopod and he's like hey this image i've solidified in my mind over the past three months i haven't forgotten it for even a second and activates a psychopod they're like wow we this is great it's like dr stone all over again we figured out the scientific problem but this time they don't explain it (laughs) there's no time to explain it in, in this series and they're like this is excellent come on nico ichiko we're working together. We're going to execute this plan as expected. The mission is to get unchanged Gina Chamber and negate her tragedy. And they, they use move to teleport themselves over to uh, the Soviet Union. Yeah. Um, you guys want to like put on some like winter clothes or, or, or something if you're you know going to the... Uh, Nick, she is not going to cover up what you call her unsavory flounds, the mounds of flesh. So how about you back I was, off? I was just talking about Nico's oh. bare feet. He's going to lose toes. <laughs> That'll be fine. Psychopod is like a space heater or some shit. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, fine. He just won't forget that his toes are there. That, that'll save him. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this was a very fast-paced chapter, just like to get it to get us through this point of kind of like getting through. Honestly, one of the le- least exciting aspects of this getting the gang back together a- aspect of it, which was, oh, let's see them, you know, like invent the things they already had. Uh, it's like, no, just just they did it. They d- okay. just do it. Uh, I like the little bit with the emblem uh, demonstrating. It's like, oh no, this was there was kind of this like. This this little seed that got planted a long time ago, uh, so that they could have something when they needed it. Uh, it's it's nice. Yes. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's get through this. I'm not super excited to see like Gina again because we did not really get a long time to get to know Gina because she got killed very early on in the series. Um, but you know the dominoes are starting to fall. When they get yes. Gina, then they get, we get to see the people that I actually care about. So <laughs> I'm I'm excited for Gina, if only because, as you said, that happened so early on, and at the time we didn't realize it. But that was like meant to be a very tragic thing. Like we have to kill her to get into Union. It's the only way we're going to survive. Uh, and this person's trying to go for us anyway, so this is just like just natural. But there was like an inherent tragedy to all of it. Like Gina genuinely felt really bad about everything and it was kind of sad to have killed her. So I'm kind of curious. That's kind of like the start of what the series was of like this loop sucks and it's sad and we keep killing people. So like it'll be curious to see how they how they handle all that. Yeah. And then I want them to find Void and they're like, hey Boxer (laughs) who can 
Use unavoidable. Uh, what was your thing again? Uh... <laughs> Were you like? I guess it's Were you really big guy. I guess it's good he didn't have too much characterization because it'd be rough if like he had been like like a, a a horrible person and like they had characterized him enough that way that you're like, oh, I don't want this guy to like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to save on him. He could still die. Can we like? Uh... Not include the sets orphanages on fire guy. <laughs> yeah. What I I'm unimmolate. That's <laughs> that's just what my thing that I do. Uh well, <laughs> unburn is a character, so we shall see. That's true. It's true. Uh, chainsaw man time. It's uh Brum. chapter. Oh, thank you. Yes, chapter... <laughs> it wouldn't have made sense if we didn't do that. Chapter one hundred eleven. Uh, ha 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 ha. Oh, that's the chapter title. Okay. Uh-huh. I was like, what's so funny, Nick? Uh-huh. Enlighten me. Uh, so Yuko, uh, not able to fully resume human form anymore, uh, is quote unquote disguised in a hoodie has shown up at Asa's door. Uh, and against her instruction, Asa opened the door to talk to her. And uh, Asa says, well, what? Now that I'm here, do you want, do you want to eat me? And Yuko says, uh, yeah, a little bit. So Asa, like, Asa literally says, holy crap. <laughs> Just a dead, completely deadpan while looking at her. It's like, holy crap, you just admitted you want to eat me. What? That's kind of fucked up. Uh, so Yuko turns around. So she's like, look, if I don't see you, I can control myself better. And, and she says, look, I, I just wanted to say goodbye to you. Because I've got a distant relative who's a devil hunter, and I'm going to go to them, and maybe they can turn me human again. And if I get killed as a devil, I guess I deserve that too. Uh, Asa, you know, pauses awkwardly for a bit, and then she says, I'm sorry that you made a contract with the justice devil to save me. And Yuko says, well, that's actually not really true. I thought if I could turn into a devil, maybe I could be like Chainsaw Man, and then... Maybe everyone would love me seeing I did it for you as an excuse. Uh, I have had ulterior motives when I first helped you as well. I just thought if I rescued you, you'd be my friend. And I only did it because I didn't have any friends. And she says, I'm the worst, aren't I? I killed my neighbor. I killed the people at the school. And none of that was justice. Uh, after I made my contract with the Justice Devil, I heard all these different people's thoughts and they just drowned out my own. Uh, and Asa starts yelling to get Yuko's attention and break her pattern of thought. But when she starts yelling, uh, Yuko's tail wraps around her neck uh, or possibly it's happening. But even before that, uh, kind of hard to tell. I sort of feel like it happens in response. I think it happens in response, but it it honestly would have been a pretty cool touch if she was unconsciously doing it, and that's how she managed yeah. to get through to her, but... Uh, Yuko realizes what's happened, and she lets Asa go, and she says, uh, look, I gotta go. Uh, you were my first friend, so I wanted to say goodbye to you properly, but are those thoughts, you know, actually mine? Don't make a contract with this justice devil like I did, Asa. They're at our school. So, justice devil is still out there. Uh-oh. Uh, and uh, she gets set to leave, but Asa, Asa stops her and is like, hey, give me a minute. 
and goes back inside and then comes back out with a pair of shoes. And she says, here, take my shoes because you're barefoot right now. And uh, Yuko says, well, I don't need them. And Asa's like, well, if you don't need them, you can sell them. And if you can't sell them, you can just throw them away. And Yuko stares at her for a second. And then she starts laughing and she says, I can't believe I said something that was that embarrassing. It's very, very cute. Yeah. She and Asa kind of smile at each other. And then they start laughing together. Uh, And as they're laughing, uh, Asa thinks to herself, I'm the worst. A bunch of people just died. I killed my teacher and the class president. And now I'm just laughing about how funny this is. Yuko accepts the shoes and she says to Asa that she'll be back and will return the shoes one day. And then she leaves. Yes. Uh, And we follow Yuko for a little bit as she starts, you know, jumping from like rooftop to rooftop through the city. It's honestly pretty cool uh, just to see her jumping around and then they're like scaring birds when she lands on roofs and stuff. And when she looks, pauses to look at the birds that she scared away, she thinks, if only I could read birds' minds too. Which, I don't know why you're thinking that, but... Hey, if only I could read birds' minds, Nick, it would solve a lot of problems. Like, what the fuck do I feed this bird? And others. So, there's one last bit before the end of ending moments of the chapter where we see four different people lying down at night slash in the morning. The first one, I think, is the girl that we saw earlier. It's the, uh, it's that, the bully girl who survived the attack. Right. Uh, then there's Asa, who is clearly so worried that she can't sleep now. Denji, who's got all of Makima's dogs around him, which is... Nakima's dogs and what looks like reincarnated Makima. There is a different, another you, you, shape. You see, there, a, yes. yeah, you see what looks like a head with looks like hair. Black hair. Yeah. yeah. And then Yuko. Oh, she's oh, taking she's, a nap on the roof. She's so peacefully. She's suckered out. Next page. Oh, her head got ripped off. Oh. Well. Oh, she's not doing good. Ripped off or chainsawed off? That's the question. Well, that is indeed the question, it Quinn. Is. It is actually the question. Beca- because uh, Yuko's head is lying on the ground and she says, Chainsaw man? As there is somebody who is dangling her body by the ankle and, of course, is bleeding from its head stump. And there's a silhouette of Chainsaw man in the background. But we just saw Denji sleeping. So is this Denji what who killed her? What's happened here? Is there someone pretending to be Chainsaw Man? Or did Denji just, you know, go out on one of his typical early morning strolls and killed someone when there was no one looking that he could expose his secret to? Because that's the only reason he's doing Chainsaw Man <laughs> stuff right now. So <laughs> I, I don't think this is the answer to the question, but I would love it if uh, Yoshina was out there intentionally creating fake Chainsaw Man sightings when Denji is like known to be somewhere else to- <laughs> so he can mm. like be like look this dumb asshole is a Chainsaw Man 
<laughs> I need you to know this. I know that's not what ha- is happening here, but I, it did make me laugh. I thought I was like, maybe, maybe Yoshina is Yoshina's just trying to create some alibis. And like, I don't think he'd mind just like, taunt, like gluing a fucking chainsaw to his forehead and killing some. Puts the forehead. <laughs> yeah. Just puts a helmet on. <laughs> killing some devils. Um. Yeah, I don't know what's going on here. Maybe it's the Justice Devil. Maybe it's another devil we haven't seen. It could be a lot of things. Yeah. Um, we've had a few false finishes with Yuko. This feels like she's dead. Um, yeah. This is, yeah. This is a much more Chainsaw Man way of killing off a character. Uh, so... Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm a little, I'm like on one end, again, I kind of just like noted before with like Fujimoto's writing where you're just like, I kind of just recognize I'm along for the ride and going along with it. Cause on one hand you're like, she did very bad things and needed to die. But on the other hand you're like, oh, like it kind of sad that Asa had like one friend and they have like yeah. kind of a cute moment together. And it's like, maybe this all works out for these crazy kids. You're like, I don't think it's working out for her anymore. It definitely, it also feels at this point that Asa for this portion of the story is just straight up the protagonist. Yeah. And Denji has very much been positioned as the, an antagonistic force. Like, you know, he but killed her friend. Uh, and even if he didn't kill her friend, he definitely tried to before. Uh, and he's doing all the stuff that he's doing for unashamedly selfish reasons, which is, I just want people to know who I am so I get a girlfriend. It's like, you you, you, you killed us a friend. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Uh, so it's interesting that we this is what happened when we got back into Chainsaw Man. It's like, what happens now? is like, well, Denji's an asshole, and uh, there's another hero who's, who's <laughs> way more sympathetic currently. Yes. All right, I think it's yes. time for us to move on to Kaiju number eight. Yes, it's chapter 74. Last time, Hoshida and Kaiju number 10 were not compatibilizing very well as they engaged in combat, uh, but they seem to be back on the same wavelength now uh, as fo- combat power is rising, and it's time to make some dead bug bodies. Um, uh and, and that happens. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff that happens in this chapter, but it is all one fight scene of Hoshina killing giant bugs. Uh, cuts this one in half. Cuts that one in half. Uh, Kaiju number 10 says, Yeah! Yeah, this is great! Keep on killing stuff! Yeah! Uh, and then Hoshina stops killing stuff and says, You're too late, number 10. The deed's already been done. And he's like sheathed both of his blades and like, of course, just fall apart around him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, that happens. And then, oh, wait, there's, there's more stuff to, to defeat. Uh, so they're still not fully in sync, I guess, is the point of that sequence is that, you know, pushing to finish the job so quickly that number 10 was like, oh, oh, the, the fight's over here. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Uh, Hoshina kills another thing. Uh, and then uh two more come towards him and he straight up tells number 10 i'm not going to dodge this one you're gonna fend them off on your own uh and the kaiju number 10's like all right then (laughs) and he swings the tail of the suit in this arc around them and just bashes off the mandibles that are coming towards them uh 
And uh, Naruto's like, yeah, I'm great. See how awesome that was? And Hoshida says, no, no, there's shards of their of their carapaces that are falling on me, so you actually failed. And like, I do like the scientists like, don't do that. And then the other scientists like, their combat power's rising. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> By mocking each other, they're actually getting stronger. <laughs> um, so, you know, they, they, they're just like trading barbs and insults to each other. And yeah, it just makes their their unleashed combat percentage go even higher. Uh, and then Hoshina points out, oh, hey, the dark colored one in the back is their boss. So let's cut straight through them. Uh, number 10, fend off their attacks. Uh, and he just charges in while saying, you know, this ain't my style of fighting. So I really don't like this. And uh, he charges straight straight ahead. Slashes a bunch of more bugs in half. Number 10 covers him by lashing the tail of the suit around and countering their attacks. And it gets to a point where he's just kind of like casually walking through, through them, occasionally cutting one in half. Uh, and um, he gets super pumped up as well. Muscles tense and bulge and, and stuff. And... Uh, number 10 said, recognized this and says it feels like all of my muscles are going to burst because of the power surging through this body uh, I knew I I knew I was right I like fighting with you and uh, Hoshina takes a casual stroll through the park after uh, cutting this giant bug into um, tenths no I think there's more parts than 10 so a lot of pieces let's, let's say that Yes. Several pieces. Yep. So Hishina's strong now. Yeah. Hishina is very strong. Uh, this is a tag team for the ages, Nick. Um, let's come up with their tag team name. Knife and Ten. No. Ten Knife. No. Bowl Cut Eye Slit. Bowl Cut Eye Slit. There yeah, we go. There we That's go. So, so. All That's right. So. Print, Rolls off the tongue. Get the merchandise ready. Print the t-shirts. Ball it's, cut. It's gonna be a good one. Eye. It's gonna be yeah. a good one. I, I love this a lot. Like it is weird because this is very like gratuitously over the top shonen in a way. I haven't always felt like Kaiju number eight hits. Like it doesn't necessarily always feel like it gets into that realm. But this is such a supremely cool relationship that I, I love it. Like I'm like, I want the whole manga to be like this, basically. Uh, I've reached in. I'm almost like they're gonna get, get cut to Kafka at some point. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like why don't we get to just watch Hoshina and Kaiju number ten? It was Kafka. He'll do a thing against the Kaiju. Yeah, but will he? Will he have? Will he have swords that'll cut stuff up really tiny? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's not gonna be the same. I'm gonna, kick, I'm gonna kick a rock like Luigi's taunting Super Smash Brothers. I was like, whatever. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good chapter. I agree. It was fun. Let's do Spy Family, I guess. Let's uh, do Spy Family, Nick. It's a it's mission seventy one. Uh, so kind of continuing the little the tidbit from last time of well, who's going to come and save the kids who are on this hijacked bus with a bomb around Anya's neck? Uh. We see that the uh, security department that uh, Yuri works for has received word of the incident and their reaction is, okay, look, if hostages die or the media gets hold of this, then it's going to go 
crazy. This might be seen as an embarrassment to the police. So our top priority is just suppression uh, of, the, of the suspects. Uh, the, the existence of resistance groups in the country can't be tolerated. So cover everything up. Everything. So that's going on. Uh, Yuri runs into the commander uh, that has just been told this by like the director uh, and says like, oh, I heard Chihuahua Girl's bus got hijacked, referring to Anya. Uh, and they say, well, yeah, but you can't be at the crime scene because your sister's kid might recognize you. So that that'd be a bad thing. And so Yuri's like, all right, I understand. He thinks to himself, what do I care if what happens to Lloyd's daughter anyway? I'd be happier without her being there. And I'm sure even Yor would be. And then he imagines Yor being really, really, really sad over Anya's dead body and realizes, oh, no, oh, no, this would be bad. This would be a bad thing. It would make Yor upset. Yes. Yes, Yuri, you're very, yes. you're, you're a very smart lad. Took, took him a minute, but you got it. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, the Black Bell group, uh, has also learned of this, uh, and, uh, Annie, that's her name, right? Annie, Annie Black Bell, isn't it? Uh, her father is freaking out. You know, he says like, I, I want the fighter jets to be, to be sent there in order, in order to save my daughter. Raise the city if you have to. (laughs) Becky. Becky Black Bell. Right. Right. Not Annie Black Bell. Uh, and Martha, Becky's uh, attendant, let's say, uh, chops him on the back of the head and is like, "Come on, you're you're going to get her killed, and you're going to also start a war. Don't don't do that." Uh, and she, you know, says like, "Look, I understand, but what you're thinking is just going to provoke the kidnappers, and we need to handle the situation calmly." Of course, inwardly, she's very very concerned about her kind of granddaughter figure right now. Uh, then we get back to the bus. Uh, and Anya has just had the bomb strapped around her <gasps> neck. Gasp! Everyone's freaking out. I do like Becky's reaction to this, which is not my Anya. It's like, oh, and, and it's she, like these these two are good friends. Very yeah, happy very for that. Sure. Uh, fortunately, immediately the lead terrorist, you know, because Becky's like, this can't be real. Uh, immediately the lead terrorist thinks to himself, I mean, of course it's not real. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to waste a bomb on a single child. <laughs> that would be very stupid of me. Uh, but this will, you know, you know, prevent them from getting uppity, basically. Uh, and if it doesn't work, then I'll just use my last resort plan. So, of course, immediately is like, oh, it's not a real bomb. And she immediately relaxes and throws, you know, slumps back in the in the seat. And she's like, oh, yeah, it was scary for a second. And I'm hungry. And everyone's like, how? how, how what? She's got a bomb around her neck. Why is she so calm? But, you know, it just continues the trend of everyone thinking that Anya is weird and crazy. Uh Damien thinks to himself, like, wait a minute. Was she, like, raised by an assassin or something? Is that why she's so unflappable? And uh, he's just thinking about, like, oh, this would be great for plan B. Maybe he'll invite me to see his dad because he's impressed by uh, And she, she looks at Damien smugly and starts I smacking <laughs> And immediately everyone's like, oh my god, she's crazy! She's going to kill us all! Everyone's like, this dumb idiot's going to kill us all! And she's like, oh, never mind. 
<laughs> like she got so overconfident so quickly. <laughs> Damien decides that there there needs to be something done here. So he stands up really bravely. And this time, instead of saying he needs to poop really bad, he goes to the terrorist and he says, put, put the bomb on my neck instead. Take it off of her and put it on me. And he, you know, he says, like, look, I'm Donovan Desmond's son. All the kids like me. I'm the perfect hostage, so put it on me instead. Uh, and I like how Anya's reaction to this in the background is like, even we all like you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Damien's, you know, trying to internally talk himself up, up saying, like, I'm Damien, I'm scion of the Desmond family, and I'm going to be a politician and protect this country one day, and father is fought against all kinds of enemies, and I can fight too. And even Anya's a little bit, you know, impressed by this. Like, oh, wow. And the terrorist just looks at him and is like, yeah, okay, you got pluck, kid, so I'm going to honor that and put a second one on you. <laughs> It is a very good one. It's like, there you go. Click. <laughs> and his, his follow-up line's great, too. He's like, the quality's what we're all about. <laughs> and you get a bomb. And you get a bomb. Everybody can uh, have a bomb. I love Anya's reaction to this, though, which is, oh, we match now. <laughs> I fucking love Anya so much. Uh, so Damon's like, why did I stick my neck out for this stupid girl? I hate her so much. No, 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 no. This is what a hero does. Even for idiots like this girl. I'm sure father has endured way more to meet the ideal of protecting everyone. So I've got to do this too. And I just need to think this through calmly. Am I going to die? Oh, oh God. Is my head going to get blown off? Oh no. Oh God. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. He's a six-year-old who's just volunteered to have a bomb strapped around his neck, and now he's realized what the reality of that entails. And then, in a moment, I cannot believe that happened. <laughs> Sincerely, Anya reaches out to him and takes his hand and says, it'll be okay. Don't be scared. And then she whispers to him to say, I heard them say the bombs are fake, so don't worry. Uh, and, uh, Damien is clearly, you know, like shocked and, and comforted for a few seconds before he remembers, like, oh, oh I, I, I hate girls. Uh, I'm six and I hate girls. <laughs> Cooties, ill! <laughs> <laughs> he slaps his hand away and he says, I never said I was scared. <laughs> um, Becky looks at Anya and is like, oh, wow, I didn't know you could be so grown up. And Anya is like, ha, and smugly smacks her bonk. <laughs> And then they're going to be like, oh, you stupid idiot, stop it. Uh, and as they're chewing on you out, like, you're going to make the bomb go off. You're going to make the bomb go off. There's suddenly a boom. <laughs> Turns out the tires blew out. What? <gasps> How did this happen? How did it happen, Nick? Uh, the law enforcement set out a spike strip. So oh, uh, the, okay. the bus has been brought to a stop. And look who's going to save us all, everyone. It's the police. Yeah, it is a weird moment in the chapter. Like, the police! It's the like, police yeah. are here. They're like, mm-hmm. Listen, unless yeah. there's a hard, there's, let's see, there's a hard boy-looking guy and a dolphin man. I don't want no those police co- coming. Back. Those cops weren't so great either. Uh, all I'll say is, we exist in a country where uh, we don't have a good 
situation of the police coming up to save a bunch of kids recently. So uh, I'll leave it at that and say uh, this was a funny chapter of Spy Family. And I like that Anya tried to comfort uh, Damien. So that was cool. There was some fun jokes. There was a very unexpected but very appreciated uh, cute uh, and heartwarming moment. Uh, And there was also a a reinforcement of the mystery of like, how the hell are these kids going to get out of this? Yes. Uh, Because I'm going to spoil you guys. The police aren't going to do it. Uh, Even like ignoring like, you know, the little social commentary we had going on there. These guys are just like plain cops in this world. They don't do anything. (laughs) They're there to be ineffective until the heroes show up. So. Yeah, we'll be curious to see because we still haven't really gotten too much of an explanation. I guess we had like the idea that Yuri might get involved, but that felt like more of like a situation to explain why Yuri isn't getting involved. It's like, hey, you're like the agency Yuri works for. It's like, we're not getting involved in this. So even yes. though Yuri has a reason to be there, he cannot get permission to do so. So we yeah. shall see. Mm-hmm. Nick, let's talk about Eden Zero. This is chapter 216, Within the Fading Years, just like my favorite Mike and the Mechanics song, Within the Living Years. That's actually a very good song, though, about your father one day dying. That's not what this song, this uh, chapter is about. This one's much dumber. Um, but we shall discuss it nonetheless. All right. So we've got to get Elsie a shirt. Um, no, she she's got cold. she got a little angel wing. She's fine. She's doing great. Oh right, when you when you die, you don't have any clothes except for your eye patch. Yeah, you have you have accessories. Obviously, you'd, be, you'd look stupid without them. But you don't have you wouldn't wear clothes. That'd be that'd be absurd. Um, so last time it was revealed that the Edens One is actually a sentient spaceship that's evil, uh, and this chapter takes a really long fucking time. To explain that detail to the rest of the crew, it's just everyone else being like, this is crazy, what's happening, the ship's gonna like, like, someone must be controlling it, what's going on, and then eventually Shiki is just like, oh hey, that ship's being, like, the ship isn't being controlled by somebody, it's the ship itself is controlling us, I don't know why it takes them a little bit of time to get to that point. But they do. However, before that, we had to cut aside because remember, Elsie and Justice are having a very important talk before the Chronophage shows up, and it opens. They're they're sitting in front of like the big castle in the courtyard that Elsie fought Ziggy at, and Justice is like, "Wait, you knew Actuelia was your mother?" And you're like, "She's like, yeah, I heard that she had gave up her humanity and became a machine after the war." I had no idea she was on Lendard, though, using the Morbius to create all of her dragons and start morbing out all over the place. Uh, and Justice is like, yeah, but she was your own mother. And you and Elsie's like, eh, she wasn't. I don't really think of her as a mom. She never really cared about being a mom. That was just an act she put up for other people. And this war was really just about that morb. You got to had to just keep morbing. And even our marriage was a political one. Just arranged the way to secure a supply route for our weapons. And in the end, I I was so young, I didn't know how to stop my parents. So I went to another kingdom I trusted for advice. And that was seen as an act of war. And many people died as a result. And it's a very... It's a very hero explanation of a character's backstory. So Elsie apologizes. She's like, I'm so sorry. He's like, well, I don't know if what you did was right, but it wasn't wrong. And 
hey, I've spent all these years hunting you down without a lot of reason to do so, and I took it all out on you, so I'm kind of an asshole too. And Elsie's just like, yeah, and I don't want anyone to die anymore. I don't want to fight anymore, so we're not going to do it. And uh, Justice is like, yeah, I think I'm done too. And she's like, oh, but, you know, didn't you do it for justice? And he's like, no, the man justice doesn't exist anymore. Because there's a lot of nuance to this character now when you strip away that he had like a rage boner for Elsie to him. Uh. We cut away. There's more space battle scenes fighting. Connor's trying to get the ship away. We get, I guess, closure to the whole Hamora storyline because Justice is like thinking back on it. It doesn't even make sense that Hamora would have killed Creed. So I'm so glad we had that little plot line going on. That he basically just sums up as like that was a dumb idea anyway. I don't know why we ever. By the way, we never really saw him go after it at any point in time. So it's not like there was a real consequence to that. But he does clear that up, and he's still Elsie's just like, "Are you gonna arrest me?" He's like, "Nah, I'm done with that." Elsie's like, you better get going. The chronophage will be here soon. And Justice is like, you're not leaving? Elsie's like, this is my home. I want to stay there. And Justice leans in and is just like, hey, you know, maybe I just thought we're thinking the same thing. We've lost so much time. And now the chronophage will cleanse it for us. Cut back to the ship. Activating special drive. Shiki sews up. Weiss is like, I thought you beat Ziggy. Finally, like 15 pages into this chapter, Shiki's like, the ship loses its own free will. <laughs> and they they teleport out just in time to watch the chronophage devour Lendard. And we see it in a big whooshing effect as Elsie and Justice are losing their time, de-aged to that point where they were just little children and reimagine that scene where young princess elsie was like i know james let's kiss and then poof they're gone because as jaume explains the chronophage feast on lendert's time ruthlessly devouring 260 years but somewhere in the backwards rolling moments there may have been a short love story between a little boy and a little girl now our story moves on to its final battle. Nick, what did you think about this chapter? I'm tired now. <laughs> um, hey, I just look. If you don't have a plan for your very obvious XB character <laughs> from your previous series. You don't have to put them in the new series. You don't have to put a character in a series if you don't know what you're going to do with them. Now, that doesn't that's not to say that, like, you shouldn't just like put in a character just because you feel like it. That's fine. But you don't have to persist and continue to include them in the story in the hopes that eventually you'll think of something for them to do. Because. This means one of two things, this ending. One, it's a story that was just kind of rushed into because Hero couldn't think of anything else. Or two, this is what the story was meant to be the whole time. In which case, it's a shit story. There were 
so many details that were included in the lead up to this moment that rushed so hard there were so many details that were left unresolved as you were mentioning earlier the whole thing with the homura and james like why the fuck did we do any of that why did we involve justice and a that for what is just not going to play out uh and now after the conflict between these two characters which has never been interesting but has been established for a very long time now they're just essentially just going to have some sort of romeo and juliet moment where they're like now we're both tired so let's just die together instead of you know doing something that's not selfish uh and depressing so yeah this is um I haven't had a lot of time to stew on this yet, but I feel like this is going to be in amongst my least favorite Eden Zero chapters ever <laughs> once all is said and done, because this is just bad in a dull, depressing, and very, very mildly frustrating way, as opposed to the fun kind of bad, where it's like, well, this is insane. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I agree. Uh, I think there's a lot of problems with this chapter. I don't even necessarily have an issue with it being like kind of a depressingly bleak way. Like they both could have survived and everyone in this manga seemed to think they were going to like in the same like foolhardy shown in confidence that these characters talk about everything in this manga eraser and Shiki were both like, yeah, they're not going to just stay here and die. So, like, that'd be crazy. So, the fact that they do is is kind of uh, a bit, like, okay, that's out of left field. But, like, you could do it. Like, I could understand. Like, you could convince me that Elsie's mind at this point is just defeated. She spent so long just being on the run. Her entire crew at this point, well, I should say her entire crew. The only two people on her crew with names are dead. <laughs> so, essentially, her whole crew is dead. <laughs> She, her home's been destroyed. She feels responsible for all these lives that have been lost. Her mother was the only thing surviving and used her home as like a stage for war. And then she had to kill her own mother. And even after all that, her surrogate, like father, grandfather figure in Ziggy is also dead, which I'm not 100% positive. She knows at this point, but he's also dead. So I can see how, how Elsie would be just so done with everything that she's just like, let it just fucking happen. The problem is that Hero's art is so clean and the same always. The art doesn't carry any of those emotions. The only thing this art really carries is like the cutesy like, oh, we get to go back in time. And like, even though we're being erased, there was like a brief moment in time where we had a beautiful little kid love story. And you're just like, I don't know, man, it just doesn't feel like anything. And obviously we have a context as well, which is like, we read fairy tales, so we know these two characters. And uh, presumably most people reading Eden Zero are also people who have experienced fairy tale. But God forbid you haven't. Like, what would this relationship look like? You'd be like, I don't know who the fuck these two characters are. Like, <laughs> these two seem to have a very unhealthy codependency. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's 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 just a very sloppy kind of mess of anything also uh, kind of brought up in the end of the or in our chat here it's kind of unclear what happens to lendard 
because there's a panel of it being eaten. And you're like, the plant's left. And then there's also a static panel of nothing. And I was like, is that supposed to... And they say Elsie, so I guess it's supposed to be like, oh, Elsie's gone. Or is the planet gone? Because it's only 260 years. The planet should still be well, there, but it's just kind of vague. Well, well, Quinn, in that massive space battle, over a thousand people died. <laughs> so maybe... So maybe planets, you know, like go from just like tiny specks of dust in space to, you know, Earth-sized orbs entirely populated by sentient beings in the span of a couple centuries. Maybe that could be. That's how the scale of this series work. Uh, before I move on, I just want to ask the uh, last question to you, Nick. Jaume has returned, and we know that she always provides that necessary narration to propel us forward. So how do you feel, Nick, about the next fight, presumably the next section of the story, being the end of Eden Zero? Honestly, what kind of makes sense at this point? There's not really if much left to deal with that they wouldn't just have to introduce, which, again, the Spriggan 12 and like a whole other continent that's way stronger than us, like they could do it. But yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely has felt for a bit. We've kind of occasionally been, been thinking, I was like, has, is Eden Sarah like trying to wrap stuff up? Cause there's a lot of stuff that like, they're just very, very quickly hammering out like, oh, this member is like, here's their whole story. And now they're dead kind of thing. Uh, happened multiple times in this most recent arc. So maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, like. Maybe it is going to end, or maybe it's just like Hero, Hero decided, I'm done with all of this stuff, but I want to do something else with my space hopping uh, people. So I really just need to wrap up this storyline. I wouldn't be too shocked if that happened as well. But yeah, if in a few months Eden Zero is just done because the story got told and it's over, I wouldn't be too surprised. I don't think it's going to be good because it's just kind of very... I will say I would not say slowly, but very gradually been getting worse and worse just because Ian Zero was never great. Uh, so um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this, would be shocked. I, I will say I don't think several I, I would give it a little timeline of a little longer than several months. But I would say if by this point, even next year, I think it'll be done next year. And I wouldn't even be shocked if it's done by this point of next sure. year, because yeah. the, the speed at which Hero can write can be pretty quick. Okay, uh, let's move over to Akane Banashi, story 38, Manners and Etiquette. Ooh. Does that mean, mean, uh, what's his name from Spy Family is going to be here? Hendrickson? Ooh, Mr. Henderson. Henderson. Uh, I would like that. I would like him in more series. Yeah, he'd be great. He's been one of the... uh, just having him be around has been a nice thing whenever I've, I've been watching the anime. Just like, like, oh, look, it's Mr. Henderson. He's here to be <laughs> to be <laughs> very, very proper. <laughs> uh, we actually open the chapter with uh, Shigama speaking with uh, Ko... I'll memorize these guys' names. I think it's Koguma, I want to say. Uh, but uh, speaking with Glass is uh, uh, Aniki guy. And uh, so he says, like, oh, yeah, I kind of just le- uh, just left. Uh, was it were you hoping to speak to me about her? And he says in response, no, actually, it's about Guriko. I've heard some strange rumors about Akane recently, too, though. 
So apparently Guriko's got something going on, but we don't have any follow-up to that uh, in this chapter. Uh, so we'll, but so maybe that'll come into play later. Uh, Akane has continued during her Zenzo work uh, at the performance hall. Uh, he, she has mastered where to place the cushion uh, for one of the performers, Hasho Tsubakia. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, and she's done so by like by basically just like observing like a particular notch in the stage, uh, and it's like oh, okay, that's clever thinking, you know. Give give yourself an actual like uh, uh, what's that term? Um, whatever feature to hone in on. Uh, so she does that, and uh, she also listens in on Subakia's uh, performance, uh, which is a story called Hirabayashi. Uh, about uh, uh, someone who was being given the task to deliver a letter to someone named Hirabayashi, and uh, he can't read kanji. So, and when he goes to ask a passerby for help reading the name, uh, a problem occurs because instead of it, them reading it that way, it's read as Hirarin, and uh, that's the story. It's the story of uh, that revolves around a mistaken name, um, and Akane observes that like okay you know the audience isn't really like laughing over this but they feel very comforted because he has this very gentle way of speaking that engulfs the entire hall which is a very funny juxtaposition of phrasing because there's this like bray wyatt he's got the whole world in his hands thing that happens where he's like i am so gentle and comforting that you fall before me it is it is a very interesting way to depict that this man is so gentle and calming the whole world is like in his palms you're like okay that's a way to phrase it So Akane kind of reviews what's uh, going on in terms of her Zenza Banashi. Uh, Nick, and- how do you think Bray Wyatt would do as a Rakugoka? I feel like he'd probably be he probably he would do great. <laughs> His stories would suck <laughs> all the time. Like he's he's got the cadence and the charisma down, but every time somebody's like, "I do not get the point of this story." Does he Don't like Randy it. Orton or not? <laughs> I mean, you just kind of kept on saying a lot of cryptic stuff and never really actually explained the moral or anything. Yeah. At the end of the story, it's like, wait, so is it bad to be a firefly? I'm just not sure anymore. And when you walk alongside me, the buzzards are there and they're sucking around us, but you aren't afraid of them, even though you should be afraid of them, but not afraid of them, but you should be afraid of them. But you're not afraid because you're with me because I'll protect you. Uh, they're still very scary. <laughs> I get it. We're supposed to kill buzzards. That's the lesson of the story. This is one of those animal stories. <laughs> I get it now. I figured it out. No, no, the animal is your friend. You should put him in your. You should put him in your house. Oh, oh, now, okay. I had to reanalyze the story with this new context. So the bad guy is the road that we walk along. No, the bad guy is still the buzzard because he'll try and eat your rat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you should also follow the buzzard. <laughs> oh, okay. Let it eat you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and then Randy Orton comes out on stage, gives him Yokeo and pins him, and, that's, and then someone sweeps him off the stage, and that's how every Rakugoko performance goes. 
once every four years, he instead just t- comes out with the with, uh, with a tank of gas and sets everything on fire. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't really so much of a story as it is a crime. <laughs> so uh, anyway, Akane reviews where she's at in terms of her learning new Zenzabanashi, which is she has kind of divided stuff up into different categories of stories, which are phrases faking knowledge, parroting, and free-for-alls. Uh, they're just, you know, short terms for, like, the different kinds of stories that, that she knows. And uh, then there is one which is, okay, the story that he's telling is in the illiterate category. It's a story about a character who can't read. Uh, and I don't know any stories that are like that, and it would really help my repertoire. And this guy's really good at telling the story. So... Maybe I could ask him for help. Uh, so she she goes to him and, you know, she she says, like, oh, you did a wonderful job. And in response, Master Hasho says, oh, and, and you remembered you know, the space where you put the cushion was absolutely perfect. Uh, and do you help me to deliver a good performance? So thank you for that. So oh, very, very nice. You know, it's like it's such a small thing, but he, he recognizes it. And that that that's that's very nice. And so she says, like, oh, you know, that story you just performed, could you teach me how to do it? And he says immediately, I respectfully decline, which uh, she's shocked by. But but he goes on to say, well, you know, first of all, uh, have you spoken to your master about learning that story from me? And she says, "Uh, no. And he says, well, you know, these stories are Rakugoka's tools of the trade. There are manners and etiquette involved in learning them. And you should learn those lessons first from your master and your Ani apprentices. And then you should learn this story from different master, not me. And she starts to say, oh, I was hoping that you would. And he says, that wrinkle you created on Sango Jigo the other day when she was calling out the, the asshole. Uh, you didn't do that to make your story more entertaining, did you? Those who come before guide those who come after. I do desire to be of help to the younger generation. But whatever your reasons for doing that, as someone who has taken great pride in mastering his own craft, I do not wish to pass on that craft to someone who would pull a stunt like that. Uh, and it's just kind of a moment that, you know, again, like Akane Banashi does like the little things in a way that make perfect sense, but in a way that's also surprising, like, oh, Akane got to clap back at the dickhead. Wasn't that great? Oh, no, uh, not all great because she prioritized having a, a, you know, a little feud with this one guy instead of being an entertainer and, uh. There are people who don't appreciate that. This explains what we saw. I don't know if it was earlier this chapter. Yeah, earlier this chapter where uh, the one guy's like, I'm hearing some rumors about Akane. Like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. this news is traveling that she took it upon herself to add a show, clap back at a guy as opposed to just like tell the most entertaining story. Yep. Yep. And as somebody and... who's already seen as somebody who does kind of like big bombastic stunts, starting to rub people the wrong way. It's not going to help. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Akane is like, I mean, I know that he's talking about when I got back at Rien for that and Rokuro was telling me the same thing that I would just be earning more grudges by doing this. 
So, you know, she she has a moment where she gets down herself, then she gathers herself up and she thinks, I, I, okay, I can't let this bad impression last. So the only way I can do that is to get back on stage and make up for it there. But the Tate Zenza that she's currently working under, new guy, not the one that she ended up developing a good relationship previously, uh, he says, like, uh, no, you're, you're not going to have any openings to perform. And she says, well, why not? And he kind of timidly explains himself uh, by saying, he's like, look, you had a fight with Rien, and everyone's talking about that. And you already had this bad reputation. So if I let you go on stage and do that stuff, then that reflects badly on me because I put you in the position to do that. I'm not going to put myself through that. I'm not brave enough. I'm not going to suffer the risk the, the, for sticking my neck out for you. Yeah. So Akane realized like, crap, I'm in a bad position now. I can't, I'm not learning new stuff. I'm not getting a chance to perform. What am I going to do? Uh, and then Rokuro comes to her. Because uh, she's, you know, f- you know, clearly stressed out while she's working, uh, doing her her Zenza stuff, and uh, she says, "Oh, wh- wh- what are you doing here? You know, I, I, I didn't think you were performing today." And yeah, he's in his casual clothes, uh, he's and he got says, that "Oh, fucking uh, Chris Evans knives out sweater going on." Yeah, I say casual, but <laughs> I feel like I'd have to be going to a pretty fancy dinner party to wear that sweater, uh, but each their own. Uh, he says, oh, I had something to show Master Hacho. Uh, it's a flyer for a show I'm putting on. And he shows her the flyer. And he's on the flyer and Master Hacho is on the flyer. And it's for a Neta Oroshi event. And uh, he says, yeah, I don't suppose he would have stuck around after he was done performing. So, okay, bye. Uh, but Akai is like, wait, wait, wait. Do you have a Zenza for this event? And Rokura says they don't. And Akane says, well, then would you allow me to be the Zenza? And Rokuro only hesitates for a moment. Then he smiles and says, yeah, that sounds like fun. But be aware the Roko Meikai is a Neta Oroshi event, which means that each participant is performing their particular story for the very first time. Which is kind of perfect for Akane. Uh... And then we cut away from that to catch up with the Tate Zenza we met before, who answers the phone. Uh, and as he hears something that we don't hear, he says, What did you just. Uh, and it's the woman that Rokuro was speaking with before who says, Yeah, you heard there was going to be a substitution, right? I'll take over as the closer for tomorrow oh. night got that bum 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 yeah they're so making that very... they're making their move on akane yep this is a very well constructed chapter uh you know stuff each thing follows the next and i i it feels like you know a complete story gets told even though it's really just the beginning of a story so it's yeah. good all right. All right. Let's talk about a chapter that's a bit more tragic, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, chapter 77 of Blue Box, even so. Um, so last time we talked about, well, is this really happening? Is Taiki really going to say that he's, you know, rejecting Hina? Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, Taiki says, like, look, I can't go out with you to Hina. She stops him and says, look, I told you I didn't need a reply. So, you know, you don't have to make your decision right now. You don't need to rush it. Heck, and hey, it's not like you're going out with Shinatsu Senpai right now. So you don't have to give me your answer. Uh, and you don't have you know, look, I'm not going to complain no matter how long you take. And if you reject me now and end up liking me later, you might regret it. So but Taiki says, look, I don't think the relationship we have right now is healthy. You said that it's okay for me to get closer to Shinatsu Senpai, but the way things stand, I really can't face her in good faith. I like her, but I feel awful for how I'm swayed by you, and I think that my indecisiveness is just going to hurt you. So I'm going to be decisive here and draw a line. I think that we should go our separate ways. But before he can finish saying that, she literally reaches out and covers up his mouth and she says, I said it was fine. So, look, I, I told you how I felt. I knew you liked somebody else. And even though you like her, I still like you. And Taiki says, that's not normal. But that's not the problem here. You're wrong, but that's not the problem. Hina uh, says, no, no, it is normal. And if I can get you to look my way, then it'll all come for a full circle. And it's like, there's the problem. There's a problem that you have right there. Yeah. <laughs> but... um but Taiki, you know, says, look, I can't reciprocate your feelings. Hina starts to get increasingly more worked up. She says, why not? I'm the one who has all these memories with you. Is it because we don't live together? We could start living together now. And I don't know how Shinatsu Senpai feels about you, but I... And Taiki, in a very heartbreaking but very calm manner, says, look, that won't change who I like. And Hina, of course, begins to cry. She wipes her eyes and runs away. And Taiki goes, so that's what that feels like. It's just Sorry. like just like Batman. <laughs> yeah. All right, let me try. Let me do that in a much more uh, Batman Taiki appropriate way. So that's what that feels like. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Just that, that exact voice. That's the hardest thing that happens then. So I, we got outside, and Ayame's thinking to herself, I did a great job playing that She's trick. so excited. She's like, look at me. I am the best. And she's like, oh, yeah, two of them, Jim all alone while the bonfires burn outside. So romantic. I wonder how that went. He'd run so fast. <laughs> Crying, too. Like, just, like, not sobbing, but just, like, tears down her face. You're just like, mm. uh, And uh, Ayame, you know, catches her attention, calls after her, and she says, hey, did something happen? And even behind Hina, she can see the tears coming down from her eyes. Uh, but Hina stops running. She says, look, yeah, he, he said he couldn't go out with me because he likes somebody else, even though they don't like each other the same way. And he said it doesn't change who he likes. And then she collapses to her knees and just starts full on bawling. Yes. Which is a great thing to see. Doesn't make me uncomfortable. Very at all. sad. Get up. I've got no empathy in my body at all whatsoever. Uh... And Hina starts narrating while we kind of cut around to a few different scenes uh, during the bonfire. I, I like that it just begins with Taiki just left by himself and he just like 
sits down. Yeah, I I get that. It's it's very bleak because you like set this up as like this big bonfire is going to happen. It's like a big thing for the school. And there's like a urban rumor that's like, you know, whoever's there watching it might be destined together. And you expect like some like dramatic thing to happen and not just the three most important characters to the story are all miserable in their own various ways during the experience. Chinatsu gets off light. She's just kind of sad because Taiki's not around during the bonfires. (laughs) Like, that's it. (laughs) Uh, And while this is happening, uh, Hina narrates, if this were rhythmic gymnastics, I'd be told my efforts will be rewarded or that it was all a waste of time. People would say all sorts of things but I worked hard and have the results to show for it. And the harder I worked, the more I liked myself. But when it comes to love, why am I so pathetic? You're not. You're not, you're pa- so you're not pathetic. You're a teenager. You, it's okay. You deserve, it's okay. And you deserve better than him. And you deserve better than Kyo, who <laughs> I'm worried you're going to God, end up no. With. Oh, my God. <laughs> No relationship would make me more infuriated with manga than if she really ended up with Kyo. But Quinn, Kyo likes her. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Yeah, so the the bonfire festival happens and like no big dramatic events happen in any way associated directly with it. Like, that's just it. Like, Kita and Taiki have this heartbreaking conversation where one says sorry I don't like you back and that's just kind of it next day um, it is the last day of the training camp they're getting ready for the bus to arrive in the afternoon uh, and everyone's just kind of like chilling out there's there it doesn't seem like there's any more training left at this point uh, Taiki's walking around with Kyo Kyo, Kyo. Uh, <laughs> Spots Hina hanging with rhythmic gymnastics people. Spots Chinatsu hanging with basketball people. Uh, and Taiki says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna head to the gym and I'm gonna work on my serves." Uh, and uh, he's, you know, just doing Batman stuff, throwing hitting some shuttlecocks into a little crate. Very accurate looking stuff. Uh, and he's, of course, thinking about what he had to go through the previous night. And he's like, "Look, I'm, I'm not wrong. I just." hurt her more if I didn't make my stance clear. Uh, and, uh, you know, he hits the shuttlecock really hard for a smash. And, hey, Haru's here. And Haru says, wow, you know, you've, you're still working out even on the last day, huh? Mind if I ask for a game? Ooh. And he's been... He's been avoiding Taiki this whole time, so hmm. I think I think he's picked up on the fact that Taiki may have may have gotten his head into the game, or maybe the complete opposite. Maybe Taiki's going to be an absolute mess because of that. But mm-hmm. we shall see. I Nick have to admit when I'm wrong. I said last week that I was like, this feels like a nothing cliffhanger. It's going to be resolved, and I guess somewhat in my defense, the way the conversation starts in this chapter is how I expected it to go. Uh, but that's obviously not the way it went. It was also kind of dumb me because I was like, I mean, even Nisekoi only took 50 chapters in before Chitoge was like, yeah, I'm into Rakugo. Like, eventually they do progress. So, yeah. 
sorry, you said Rakugo. Well, whatever, Rakugo. <laughs> no, I'm just imagining like Nisekoi, but like the last three quarters of it are just theater she, performance. She just, it's, she's just in love with Rakugo. She just hangs outside of Rakugo uh, performance halls. And she's like, I love it. I want to be with it. <laughs> well, you can't. Our families. <laughs> The harem surrounding Rakugo, you know, as a concept. <laughs> yeah, uh, everyone's there's so many different relationships they gotta worry about. Um, yeah, I thought that was good. I, I, I had a fun time with this chapter, even though it made me very sad because Hina deserves so much more. She's the best. Yeah, she's a very she's a very good girl, uh, and she's really cool, and I want her to be happy. But it's uh, it's that situation right we're in right now too, where you're like, she's also the best character in this story, so like. It's going to be sad if she's just, like, really bummed or bitter or anything like that. I'm like, I hope we get the, like, really fun Hina moments. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we'll see where it goes. We shall. Nick! We're going to talk about that Ginka and Luna. Yes. Ginka and Luna, chapter 10. Last time, uh, after Luna had a fight with, was it Karuha? Karusa? Kar- I think it's Karuha. Uh... Ginka showed up, and it turns out that they've known each other for a long time. Karula, there it is. Uh, and uh, Karula proclaims that they're lifelong rivals, which Ginka doesn't seem very, you know, like pleased by, but it does seem to accurately define their relationship because they've apparently fought each other a whole ton of times in the past, and Karula has very rigorously kept track of how many wins, losses, and draws are between them. Uh, Karula lets Minigin go, which uh, Luna is happy about, and then he's like, what the hell happened to you, Ginka? Why is your body all, you know, soft and snowy, and why are you out of power immediately? You've lost all your abilities and stuff. And Ginka's like, yeah, uh, that's what happens when you don't know how to fuse yourself back together. So that's why they're going to try and find the guild. Uh, And uh, Luna raises the point of like, hey, Minigin says he doesn't want to fuse with you. uh, And Ginka and he are, you know, are just kind of like, well, why? And he's like, well, I would disappear and that scares me. And Ginka says, I, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, so Luna says, so we should find a solution to this problem that doesn't involve fusing. And Karula immediately is like, no, no, I have been waiting for you to return Ginka and I demand you return to normal so we can fight again. And there are tons and tons and tons of fragments of Ginka inside his lab, which was why he captured Minigin. So um, maybe Ginka and Luna isn't going to last very long, which is definitely not a suspicion that Nick has had for 10 weeks. So <laughs> <laughs> from chapter one, you were like, this ain't lasting. Nope. All right. Fair yeah. enough. It does suck a little bit, but I've. I've numbed myself to it. I'm fine. I'm going to be fine when this ends at chapter Next 17. Look. I'm going to say like, I don't even need this anymore. Who cares? Who cares? Doesn't even matter. I didn't like it anyway. I don't even know what cognitive dissonance is. How dare you? So, uh, Karula is like, I'm going to fuse all these fragments together, uh, into, into Ginka and I'll do it by force if necessary. Uh, and, then he lays out a bowl of food and is like, first off, we're going to eat. Uh, and there is a kind of creepy moment between him and Luna because he like cups her chin to be like, you have some too and become stronger. 
But then Luna responds by just picking up the cauldron he made the food in and just guzzles it all down, which is great. Uh, and uh, she's like, you know, I mean, it does seem that eating this would make me stronger, but I don't eat in order to get stronger. I eat because it's tasty and fun, which is an interesting mindset for someone who was alone in the wilderness for several years to have. But I admire I admire her stance. Um, and uh, everyone just kind of goes to bed. It's around this point in the story that I go, did they just leave Anemone and Beretta just in that cave down there and never went and got them? <laughs> They'll be fine. So uh, then the next morning, Luna goes out with uh, the, the twins because uh, she's going to go forage for ingredients. They're like, oh, can we come too? And, she's, and she says, yeah, yeah, let's go. Uh, and they look around. They end up finding some potatoes uh, and... Uh, they're like, oh, yeah, but, you know, ingredients are hiding in places we can't see them. So we need to use our other senses as well. Luna sniffs around. They find some mushrooms. They are also fish. But she's like, but where are the fish? There's no water here. There's a sky fish that we can catch instead. And it's super fast. You know, Luna just like tries to catch it with like a you know, bit of string and a hook on a on a, on a stick. She, she goes do. sky fishing. Yeah. Sky fishing makes perfect sense. Dick, but the, this was a game that was always intended to kind of feel like a, a JRPG, and it added a fishing mini game. So finally completed it. Yeah, there we go. And you gotta do the fishing mini game, or else you'll never get the golden scale. Exactly, and you need that if you want to advance your chocobo all the way. So the sky fish snaps off the hook. It's just like fishing for Froggy inside the hedgehog. Uh, so good job. I did like somebody was like, there's a fishy mini game in the new and level ups in the new Sonic game. Sonic is now officially a JRPG. And I was like, cool. <laughs> I'm all about and that. It's also, it's also open world. So, yeah. Uh, so the sky fish is darting all around, uh, and while Karula and Gink are just observing this happen. And, uh, Karula says, you never taught that girl Verokian magic, did you? Why only dark magic and that one of all things? And Ginka says, well, I thought it'd be interesting, but also it was her request. And we get a flashback to first chapter when Luna said that when she became a magician, she wanted to travel everywhere. And at the very end, I want to go here. And uh, meanwhile, in the present, Ginka just says, eh, I think we're done now. And Luna, as the fish gets even slightly close to her, says, don't move, but in like special runic speak. Yes. Uh, and the fish is paralyzed and Krula recognizes that's the spell I used to paralyze her when we fought. She just mimicked it after one time it was cast on just her. Just like Goku. Or Karula is a blue mage. Well, you know, if we're yeah. going to use RPG terms. That so. is true. Uh, and it's like, oh, man, even high-level students take five years to master that. And she did it immediately. It's like, yes, we, we know Luna is very talented. She picks up stuff quickly. She's very good. I get it. Uh, so, hey, tasty food gets made. And Luna you know, invites everyone to eat. Except Anemone and Beretta. Where the fuck are they? <laughs> they might be starving in that cave. <laughs> um, and uh, so she... 
uh, Luna says, like, yeah, there's more stuff to do on a mountain than just race to the summit. Uh, or Ginka, rather, is saying that to Karula while they're dining by themselves. And she's, and he says, like, you, the two of you just have very different outlooks on life, basically. Uh, and uh, even he, even Karula is forced to admit that, yeah, it tastes good. And after they've had their that uh, meeting, uh, Karula gives them a letter of introduction so that they can get into the guild and potentially find their solution to get Ginka back to normal, maybe without even sacrificing Minigin. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, Kirill also warns Luna to be careful about using dark magic because it is forbidden. Whatever. Uh, And uh, he also warns Ginka that there is a split within the guild because not everyone is going to be happy to see him uh, and not everyone's going to be happy to see him again. Uh, and uh, Kink is like, well, I'll take care of him, whoever it is. And Kirill says, uh, both of them will kill you on sight because uh, they're expert magicians. So good luck with that. <gasps> what a scale power up, Nick. They're uh, almost just, they're, they're as capable as this guy. Yeah. And he was also a threat, I think. I guess. We kind of got past the whole fighting thing into fun times so yeah. <laughs> pretty quickly. Uh, so Kirilla says, yeah, yeah, um, they've got a lot of disciples, too. You're going to have a lot of enemies in the guild. So sneak in, find a way to reclaim your power without letting anyone know your identity. Ooh. We'll see how long that goes. Yes, yes, we will. There were some nice moments in this chapter. It was OK. It's fine. I, 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 I think I can enjoy this series on a very limited basis of like, I think this is only going to run for a certain amount of time. And... <laughs> I think this chapter just is another one of those ones that makes me feel like I'm recognizing it's ending. Maybe not, because again, who knows? But yeah, it's just a, it, it, it's fine. It's fine. All right. Let's talk about the <sighs> new big series, Nick. Everyone's talking about it. They're like, whoa, Shonen Jump has this. The world may never be the same. It's a new series running in Shonen Jump called The Ichinose Family's Deadly Sins. I get it, but I don't know if there is a lot to get because it is um, this first chapter is 58 pages long, 56 pages long, and only the First, only the last 10 pages matter. The entire rest of it is basically a a setup for a fake out, which I saw coming in like the seventh page. It's, I mean, it's, I feel like it's impossible to not assume there's some kind of fake out from like an entire family has amnesia. You're like, all right, well, this is a shonen manga, so there's something different behind that. It's uh, the kind of the premise is that like, yeah, our main character, Subasa wakes up. He's got amnesia. His family is surrounding him, uh, but he doesn't recognize any of them. He doesn't even recognize his own name. Uh, and it, when that happens, it turns out, oh, all the rest of them have amnesia. Uh, it His sister, his parents and his grandparents. There are six of them in total. Uh, brother, sister, mother, father, grandfather, grandmother. Uh, and uh, there was this accident that occurred that like made the news. They were all in a car accident together. They know names because they were carrying ID on them, and that's basically it. Uh, 
they uh all you know like start like eating together and stuff hanging around the hospital trying to get to not know each other because they don't even know themselves so they can't get to know each other instead they go with this idea of well a a treatment for amnesia is to talk about shared experience you have together but nobody remembers anything so they're like well maybe we could just make up our own experiences and maybe that'll trigger some sort of memory and they go on about like, oh, we remember the trip we took to New York. Remember the trip we took to Okinawa. Wasn't that great? We went to all that together. Uh, Shiori, who is Tsubasa's sister, allegedly, uh, is like, this is bullshit. I don't know how everyone could be so calm and cheerful about all this. This is ridiculous. We don't know who we are. All of this is all of this is just made up, imagined crap. Uh but she goes off and talks to she. She goes up by her by herself. Subasa goes to talk with her. They have a heart to heart, and eventually she, you know, just like opens up and is crying. It's like, look, I'm I'm incredibly worried. I'm worried sick. What if we never get our memories back? Aren't you worried that that's going to happen? How can you not think about all this stuff? And Subasa says, Well, who cares if we don't get our memories back? I mean, I do want to remember my phone's password. <laughs> But uh, he says, look, we've all got each other. And, you know, I kind of think that, like, just hanging out, talking about made-up trips sounds like fun. So I don't care if my memories never come back. I think I'll still be perfectly happy. Uh, and he and she you know, doesn't really know what to say to that. But he says, and I've got you, Shiori. You were there. The entire time that I was out, you were in my hospital room. You were calling out to me. Big brother, I remember that from when I was still in a coma. And she gets kind of embarrassed about that. But he says, look, you were there trying to cheer me up and worrying about me. So instead of worrying all by yourself, you should come downstairs and you should talk with everyone. It is. It starts off kind of not great between them. But as it goes along, I think the conversation between them is definitely the highlight of this first chapter. Just really like, yeah, even though they didn't really know each other, they still have this bond that unites them. And that's nice. Uh-huh. Uh. So Shiori does indeed come down and she kind of joins in on the let's make up stories about about all this. And the thing that they take away from it is this. We're all going to be OK as long as we have each other because we're the Ichinose family and we're family. And they get home and their place is very, very dirty. There is stuff strewn everywhere, just miscellaneous trash magazines and wrappers and bottles and yeah. stuff i i i like how stupid their reaction to it is which is well it is a mess but i guess we haven't been home in a while that doesn't make sense why is it this kind of a mess <laughs> yeah, like they're just trying to figure it out they're like hey we haven't been home in a while maybe monsters did this <laughs> maybe monsters broke into our house and, and made everything messy that's that's gotta be it uh, then they find out that all of their rooms are in this long hallway and each of their doors has a lock. And as they go inside, they're like, you know, this is kind of weird, actually. I kind of thought that, you know, like these two were like a couple. So wouldn't they have a room together? But apparently they sleep in separate rooms. And that's the case for all six of them. Uh, but as and then as they go inside, Tsubasa gets into his room and the word die is just scribbled on his wall over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. Uh, 
and uh, everyone has seen something similar that has them reacting in a way where they're, you know, shocked and petrified. Uh, and at that moment, everyone realized we might not be the people we thought we were. Uh, Subasa sees a quote unquote family picture of the six of them with all their faces scribbled out. And he thinks maybe it's possible we're all hiding some sort of secret, but there's no way that we went to Okinawa together. <laughs> uh, and they come to the table together and everyone's like refusing to talk about it, which is great. Uh, and uh, they have tried to have, you know, a meal together and be all happy and peppy and stuff. But they admit like we have no idea what's going on. We have no idea who we were and everyone's, you know, much less optimistic and kind of sick to their stomach of what they've been through. And the last shot of the chapter is the six of them all sitting at a table together and each of them has in the background apparently the person that they were before losing their memory looking much more ominous yeah i like i said i feel like this chapter is just kind of a really long setup to a twist um because this could be one of two things, you know, if you're going through the setup, which is you can take it at face value and be like, oh, it's going to be this kind of goofy story about these people making up new memories together because they can't remember who they were. Or there's something creepy going on. When is the creepy thing going to happen? And then the creepy thing happens. And I was not really that like into it. It's, I mean, it's, it's the series is called their fan, their deadly sins. So you kind of went in with the impression of like, I bet they aren't innocent people in their past lives. Right. There's something going on. Um, and then from there, it's just like, when's the thing going to happen? 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 And it takes so long for it to happen. Uh, and then when it does, it's like, Oh, they're not who they think they are. Like, okay, great. So can it, I have something else now? Can you tell me something more? Anything I, more? Not even like tell me the secrets. I mean like give me a reason why I should want to find out the secrets, please. I get I definitely see that. It is definitely like a chapter where like the end is something that is hooking your attention. Uh, but it is also something where you're just like you don't get anything that really hooks your attention. It's just like a delivery. Like, hey, these six have some crazy lives and we're going to explore them at some point. And like, that is an intriguing premise. Uh, it's tough to base a lot though off of the first chapter since it really is just a setup. Uh, I'll also say like the series definitely has uh, an eclectic art style to it that mm. I don't know. It have definitely adds a lot to its vibe and ambiance it is very distorted and uneven, and that really adds this unease as you read it. Uh, I also can't say I'm like 100% a fan of it, and I can't imagine it's going to like get more normal as it goes on. So I think this is just what we're going to uh, get into it. And uh, yeah, I, I think uh, we, shall, we shall see where this series goes in the, for in the future. Yeah. Um, also, the fact that it is called, um, you know, Deadly Sins, uh, I think that the, the people in our Discord have also observed about it. It's called the Deadly Sins, but there's six of them, not seven. 
it's a little it just bothers me on, almost on a, a certain level it, it may uh, not intentionally be evoking the deadly sins though at least uh, there's like a, a part of my brain that always hopes that's not going to be uh i i was looking up the name of the manga in japanese which is ichinosuke no taizai taizai is like you know deadly sin okay um not necessarily like christian deadly sin though we shall see all right i've got a puzzle for you all right let's do it let's do it got it i'm gonna work a stretch got this poser playmaker damn price setter please sign him the pain profession Price setter feels like it's a big clue. Um, please sign him. Mm-hmm. That feels like a big one. Please sign him. Uh, I will say that in this case, each of these clues is basically just as important as all the others. Okay. Please sign him play or price setter price setter is an interesting one yeah let me get uh let me just message you the uh the clue so you can see it all laid out there you go poser playmaker price setter please sign him the pain profession the pain profession i feel like i should know this one too you, I think you should. I feel like all the clues are adding up. Who still needs to be signed that's in the profession of pain? I'll tell you, I, I can give you a big hint. This is not referring to one person. Mm, this is a group? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Please sign him, though. Huh. Mm hmm. And it's a group. Mm -hmm. It's not the Hurt Business. It is the Hurt Business. Is it? Okay. All right. Bobby Lashley is the poser because he would do his stupid butt pose. Yes. Playmaker playmaker is MVP. Price setter is Shelton Benjamin. The the gold gold standard. standard. Okay. Please sign him was please sign Cedric. When he did the Cruiserweight Classic. And then the pain profession, the Hurt Ah, Business. Ah, the Hurt Business. Okay. I like that one. That one's good. Nick, I'm very proud of it as well for you. I have a game as well. And last week, I set up sort of a term for this. That we're going to see by the end of the year, if you have more wins or losses, something Mm -hmm. will happen. So if it's more losses, our audience gets to pick a recommendation for us. I feel like maybe this isn't as good enough for for a victory, but I feel like I got to get a pizza. I feel like if you win more than you lose, the free pizza goes your way. You have to have some incentive in this. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Because I have our next one ready. All right. Yep. I'm uh, just going into my. Your mind palace. like My mind palace. Okay. Yeah. You got one minute starting now. All right. Are they an active wrestler? No. Uh, are they alive? Yes. Okay. Did they wrestle in the 90s? Uh, yes, yes, yes. 
Okay. Did they wrestle in the 2000s? Yes. Okay. Uh, did they wrestle in the 2010s? Um. Yeah, I'll say yes. All right. Did they, did they wrestle in WWE exclusively in the 2000s? Yes. Okay. Um. Maybe. Maybe. Not. Maybe. Okay. maybe. <laughs> are they Are they male? Yes. All right. Did they win the WWE championship? No. Okay. Did they win any world championship? No. Okay. Uh, did they win the United States championship? No. Intercontinental. Well, yeah, yeah, they did. Actually, yes. They won the United States. Okay. Intercontinental? Yes. Okay. Uh, so All right. That's that's timer. I that's there's so many people. Like I tried to narrow it down, but it's like it's I just wasn't nailing the right the right questions this time. All right, so it's an inactive wrestler who did wrestle in the 90s, but it yes. sounds like only just and only just wrestled in the 2010s and they're no longer active mm -hmm. and they've won the US and the Intercontinental Championship. Uh -huh. All right. That's only like, what, two dozen? <laughs> <laughs> but it's you. It's me. That we're talking about. And they almost wrestle exclusively for WWE in the 2000s. So it can't be Kurt Angle. Because he was in TNA for a good chunk of the 2000s. He was also a world champion. Yeah, that, that's, not, that's also true. Oh. We do have manga to get back to, though. We do have manga to get back to. Uh, it's not him. It's not him. It's not him. Oh, God. I'm going to need an answer. It's a good clue. I'm going to okay. okay, need an answer. Okay. All right, I need you to stop talking if you want me to get you an answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, is it... Uh, is it Carlito? It is not Carlito. It is... Yes, you debuted too late. It is Lance Storm, who was technically U.S. champion in... WCW, which is why I was a little oh, bit. And yeah. he wrestled in ECW in the 90s, which is why I was like, yes, he was technically active at that point. But then okay. left, I believe he spent like the later half of the 2010s doing like independent circuit and like his, his wrestling yeah. school. I did that to myself. <laughs> to the, doing the, the US thing absolutely threw me. I was trying to figure out, I was like, which of that weird assortment of people were just <laughs> mid-card wrestlers? <laughs> I mean, that's probably the most hectic period of WWE. Like, hey, Nick, I, I know. figure out which WWE mid-carder this was who wrestled in the 2000s. Nah. There's only two brands worth. Yeah, Lance Storm, too. Just, uh. Yeah. All right. Uh, All so, right. records at one and one right now. It's anyone's game. Well, it, it, it's it's. My I mean, it's just, it, well, it's just yours, really. It's just your game. <laughs> you get something just either. I win or lose. You get something either way. On one hand, you get a pizza. If not, the audience makes you read a manga. They don't. Want, they, they probably want to punish you with for some reason. I guess Lance Storm did win the Intercontinental Championship. He did. He, he the, when he first showed up, he won the Intercontinental Championship. And that was the most relevant he was in. <laughs> How dare you? He was like four-time tag in WWE. Okay. <laughs> PPP, PPP, 
Chapter 57, The Precious Theme Park That Rains Jewels. This is a very, 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 very not strange at all manga. <laughs> uh, so we get some, you know, just like, you know, kind of people in the stands just like thinking about how the competition has played out thus far and how it seems like Lucky's team has had, you know, a really good strategy go going into this. And uh, Furusu like leaves off the last note being like, yeah, you know, Lucky performed just like he planned and he did it with the audience in mind. And, you know, I, I thought something was different him. Maybe he's all right. I wonder what Fonda's going to do. I wonder what Fonda's going to do. Fanta steps down from the top of the bleachers heading towards the stage. And as he does so, the lights turn off and he gets to the piano. And as he starts playing, the theme park appears around him and then immediately breaks apart into a bunch of butterflies. <laughs> and Sadame is observing him from just off stage and he goes, huh? Um... And the the it, the butterflies form into the train that Lucky had created when he was sending everyone home with his performance. Uh, and Fanta, as he performs, says, "All right, everyone, we've arrived at the closest train station. Please depart from the train through the ticket gate and head home." And all the people in the stage are like, at home? Get off the stage? The oh, the door looks like the ticket gate. Yeah, all right, yeah. And Fonda's like, yeah, everyone, go outside. Just Pied Pipers everyone out of the stands. <laughs> and as he continues to play, he summons jewels from his hands and throws them into the air. And he casts out more butterflies and smacks them away. And more butterflies go out. And he demands that they get off the train and head home feeling wonderful while looking at the beautiful night sky. I mean, it's not their actual home. It's the college that they've come to know. This is your regular life. But today is the last day. So enjoy the rest of the festival. And he stops playing, fully gets up off the bench uh, in front of the piano and says, congratulations on your graduation. Thank you for coming. And he thinks to himself, it would be an honor if someday you look back longing to hear this performance again. So they're not going to be able to vote now, are they? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe as they left, they all put stuck a little ballot in a box. Um I mean, this is an incredible thing that, uh, you know, he re he reconverted his little Ferris wheel festival grounds into like something completely different. And it's like Sadame just sits there being like, I thought I competed on level with the genius and he's fucking more incredible than that. God damn it. Oh, he wasn't trying the whole time. Shit. <laughs> There's, I feel like, an ICO 21 reference. Didn't someone recreate, like, someone's talent and then they immediately made, like, a new version of it? I guess that's basically what happened with Senna and the Double Back Ghost and things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, a well, I guess, would do that kind of thing. Yeah. And... Oh, a gone, you piece of shit. My man threw a football at a child in a wheelchair. <laughs> it really can't be stressed how much of a dickhead a gone was. Uh no it can't. Um and then he became a troubles a troubled ally. Yeah. Because 
we needed that to happen. So the anyway. World Cup arc was very important. It was very important. It was also very important. He shave off his dreadlocks. Oh. <laughs> Wind resistance, man. Come on, think about it. Uh, all right. That's not why he did, but okay. <laughs> Good chapter. Let's uh, let's let's move on here to Mashal Magic and Muscles, chapter one thirty two. Rio Grants and the massive miscalculation. So, uh, Rio Grants massive miscalculation sounds like a Yu Gi Oh card. What would be the art? Uh, like a man would, going to punch a number on a calculator, but he misses, and like the fingers clearly snapped. Uh, it would be of uh, Kozaki, the scientist who's depicted in numerous card arts, and uh, he would uh, be standing at a console as it was smoking and sparking and sweating as he consults a calculator. Ah, okay. And what does the know, what does the card do? It would do something that would like damage yourself because that's what, what like almost all Kozaki cards do. So damages yourself, but then like, uh, draw a card. No, not even that. Oh, um, just deal 100 damage to yourself. Like, ouch. It might be one of those things where like, if you do a, a particularly weird combo, then it you can get the damage to go to your opponent instead. But then Ooh. everyone would be like, yeah, yeah. I like that. But some strategy. Everyone there. would, but everyone would, be, would agree like, nah, nah, it costs too many resources to ever actually be you know efficient to do so. You should instead summon five dragons that lock your opponent down because this is a way a fun card game is played. <laughs> so. Uh, so last time Ryu Grants was was pushing back Doom. Doom Lake was like, oh, I'm going to 70%. Still wasn't enough. Ryu Grants was still kicking ass. And uh, he's taunting even now saying like, I am the world shining hope. Just speak to sparkle, sparkle, sparkle. Uh, and Finn's just like, I just wish he wasn't like this all the time. Because he's like, <laughs> photo up <laughs> time. We cut over to Caldo Gehenna and the crew who are trying to turn the key. They're like, it's so good. We'll never make it. When Melia Duel, is that her name? It's been so long since I've had to say her she's name. Just, she's just been off screen doing nothing important, just beating up people. Yeah. She kicks open the door and is like, I'm back. Let's go. And just starts turning the key. Uh, so we cut back to the fight. Rio Grants is shooting off a whole bunch of his lasers, uh, activates it. They curve up above his sword imagine him, and, and Doom's just like, this is a troublesome foe. He keeps knocking me off of my my tempo. Er, throws his sword. Rio Grants is too fast, you know, and, and uh, Doom just thinks the visionary of light has no openings. And uh, he's even been cut by one of the light beams. He's like, the last man to make me bleed was father. I'm relieved you can match me in a fight. And uh, Ryu Grants is just like, aren't you underestimating me? And he shoots a little ball of light into the air. And he's like, did you know the humans perceive the world through five senses? Explains the five senses to everybody. And says, one scent, though, dominates them all. Sight makes up 87% of how we experience the world. He activates his second death spell, Shine Prism, and it's so bright, no one can see a thing. And Rio Grants is like, this will end it. I'll use a variety of feints at variable speeds to launch an attack he can't anticipate. The key being, he literally won't see it coming. And... Doom just starts fucking knocking them back like a baseball, just like ping, ping. And one of them is going right for Finn, and Rio Grant sees it and intercepts his own attack, injuring himself in the shoulder. And he's like, how? How did this happen? My second should have hit him head on. 
and Doom apologized, saying, I didn't mean to deceive you. It wasn't very fair of me, and removes his mask and says, You see, I've been sightless since birth. And now that the Divine Visionary is injured, it is Doom's turn to go on the counterattack. Yep. Uh, so uh, we got a solar flare technique introduced, and immediately it was uh, ineffective. So there we go. So yeah, that's pretty much how it goes, right? Um, yeah, the 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 yep <laughs> table the table the table finally turned. That's that was this chapter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, good chapter. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, the elusive samurai. Chapter 86, Mad Gallop 1335. Oh no, Horse, Horsey McCorserton is wreaking havoc on, uh, the, on the Hojo forces. What are we going to do? Uh, yeah, Imagawa goes around. Uh, he just kills people, knocks them off their horses, stabs them with his Naginata, slashes through them. Uh, and so they're, they're not doing great. Um, what one of the, uh, the, uh, Hoshina leader, uh, says look we need to retreat behind allied lines we need to get tokiyuki to safety uh and he says like look we're not in good shape right now fubuki is sulking we need to get out of here uh and uh they realize like yeah we're we're, we're in, in trouble and this imagawa guy is causing is causing problems and tying his legs down results in phenomenal horsemanship as if man and horse are one. All you need to do is just tie your legs to the horse. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to do, Nick. It's been that simple all this time. Uh, so they try and shoot the mount, but it's it's so powerful that they still can't stop it. Uh, but they just keep on shooting it and puncturing it with arrows. And they're like, yeah, look, look, this horse is like a freaking beast. It, it, it's got to be like a rare creature that he has specifically trained for this combat. So if we kill it, it's not replaceable. That's then then we'll be fine. And yeah, sure enough, as they puncture it with arrows, uh, it starts to slow down. So Imagawa retreats and goes into literally a pit stop uh, surrounded by people. And he the horse starts to collapse and he says it's down another and all of the people surrounding him start to take him off the horse and put him on another while a timer goes off just like when a pit stop happens and somehow they get him off of a horse and onto another strapped in with fresh armaments and tied to it in 15 seconds this seems impossible, but they do. It. Well, Nick, he also kicks a horse fast enough to make it go gear second. So, I mean, I don't That's know. That's just the way it works. <laughs> well, I don't want you underestimating the speed of pit crews and the. Uh, oh, God, this is where I'm about to look really stupid. 1700s in Japan? It's. <laughs> the year is in the chapter title of every chapter. Oh, that's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> so Imagawa sets off again with a fresh mount. And uh, yeah, Uesugi just says, yeah, it doesn't matter if you kill the horse. He just rides ordinary horses and then pumps their hearts to make them go fast because that's how it works. Uh, so he's totally unstoppable. Uh, but that's our big action scene uh, for the chapter because the rest of it is reserved for confessions and backstory. Uh 
Fubuki goes off with Tokyuki and his other retainers. Uh, and Toki's like, hey, what's wrong with you? And Gemba says, I mean, this started when Ashikaga Academy came up. And hey, he also fell silent back when it came up in the past, too. So he just flat out says to Fubuki, hey, are you working for the Ashikaga? Uh, and he also goes on saying, like, look, during the assassination attempt, when we separated Takauji from his retinue, I kind of assumed that we wouldn't recognize who Takauji was. Uh, and I intended to identify him, by the way, you know, he carried himself and greeted people, but you knew him on sight right away. Uh, so Fubuki admits that, yes, I was originally a low ranking Ashikaga warrior and I studied at Ashikaga Academy. Uh, I learned strategy, I learned martial arts. I was going to be a retainer of the Ashikaga. Uh, my dad was a horrible person. <laughs> We see just like not great ways of encouraging someone to get stronger, beat him, waterboard him, waterboard your kid. That'll make him stronger. It's good parenting. And Fubuki uh, shows off some of the scars that are hidden underneath his sleeves that he got from uh, being, quote unquote, trained by his father, uh, which immediately to their credit, uh, Kojiro and Ayaka are like, yeah, that's not that's that, that's not from training. He was he was just disciplined because of abuse. That's it. Uh, and Fubuki says, yeah, I couldn't stand it to, uh, anymore, and I so I killed my father and I left. Um, but he clarifies after Gemba keeps at prodding him with more questions, like, hey, did you know about the Tengu? And he says, no, that was above my rank. I was you know a really low ranking uh, trainee. And I only ever saw the leadership from a distance. And after I left, then I didn't get to see them anymore at all. And I wandered around trying to find someone that I could serve and survive with, but no one would hire me because I was a boy of no standing. And then I met you and you believed in me. And I couldn't tell you that I used to be with your enemy uh, because I figured you wouldn't trust me. So I hit the truth. And he presents Tokiki with his sword and says, please punish me. I will pay for this deceit. Which is sad because he's just going back to, you know, like he's accepted that this, you know, physical punishment is just the way things are. Yeah. Tokiyuki grabs his sword and flips it high up into the air and then grabs Fubuki and pins him down and so that his body is between Fubuki's and the blade as it's spinning and falling down towards them. And he says, I'm not going to flee the falling blade. And Fubuki reaches up past him and catches it safely. And Tokyuki leans in close and says, look, I trust you. Do, I, do you think I care about your lineage, about your old allegiances? You still don't know how incredible you are. Our soldiers' morale is dropping in fear of Yamagawa's gallop. We need to increase the morale of all allies on this battlefield a hundredfold, and I bet you can think of a way to do that right now. And that's the end of the chapter. I actually, I like that moment a lot. I think I would be able to really, like, put, like, a giant approval stamp if it didn't have Tokiyuki doing, like, the weird blush yep. as the blade comes down, which I just know is part of this series' character at this point, but it is still a moment that kind of detracts from otherwise, I think, a pretty cool gesture. 
in a very like bombastic shonen way. Yeah. Uh, the pit stop is ridiculous, uh, but also great. Uh, the moment of camaraderie that is, you know, just reinforced between them is also great. Yeah, at this point, I I kind of am at the same level with you in terms of Tokyuki like getting turned on by danger thing, which is it's not like oh please stop doing this. It's like no, this is just a part of the series now, and like I I, I I'm going to continue to not like it, but I'm also going to just accept that it's just a thing that happens now because yeah. it's not going to change clearly. Obviously. All right, Nick, let's wrap this up with One Piece. Yes, it's chapter 1066, The Will of Ohara. I'm sure nothing important happens this chapter. This is going to be the one where nothing important gets revealed. (laughs) Oh, I got sad remembering what this chapter is about. So... (sighs) People have now... (laughs) It's okay. We've got Nanami. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, he's here to watch. So, Vegapunk 1 has just told Nami, Nusop, and company uh, from with their half of the current division of the Straw Hats. Not, no, 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 not half. Because also Zoro and Brooke are over there. God damn it. I, I'm trying to keep up with this. Like, we just got out of, like, there are 15 different locations where, there, where the Straw Hats are in. There's only three, and I'm already <laughs> losing it. Um. So yeah, he is. They, he's just revealed that like, oh yeah, that this isn't like futuristic stuff. This is like there used to be a city just like this one, and this is all like found technology, basically. And there once was a man from Nantucket who gave his life for archaeology and brought that kingdom existence to light. And that timeline matches up with the period in which a certain machine discovered elsewhere was originally produced. And Robin says, would that machine happen to have been made during the void century? Whoa. Quinn, do we know what that is? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, The void century is the period of time that everybody that Robin's like backstory was trying to investigate. Supposedly some big stuff happened then, but it's all been erased. It's this void century with no history. Whoa. And uh, Vegapunk one says, like, yes, yes, I know that your hometown of Ohara was leveled by the Navy's buster call. Something so cool should not be something so evil and, and heartbreaking. The buster call. Yes. Um, and I sus- and Vegapunk says, I suspect this was because Ohara discovered the existence of that kingdom. The void century is the history of a war between the extremely advanced civilization of the past and a group of 20 kingdoms who won the war and developed the world government, creating the world that we know today in order to ensure the ideals of that ancient kingdom were not passed down. They erased all traces of it from history. Um, which um, Nami's freaked out by Usopp. can't believe it. Frankie's like, wow, oh, talk about a tale packed with romance and mysteries. Frankie, one of your best friends, lost her family and everyone from her childhood because of this. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> it is like a moment where you're like, Frankie probably shouldn't have spoken right there, but whatever. <laughs> um, 
Sanji's like, wait, doesn't that mean that everyone who learns about this and Vegapunk wants this? Yeah, yeah, everyone who learns about this will be eliminated. Uh, so <laughs> Usopp freaks out and he's still pinned to the floor by the boots they're wearing. So he fully leans back to bash his head into the floor to try and make himself forget. Classic Usopp. Um, yeah, and Vegapunk 1 says to Robin, if Ohara was indeed wiped out over this theory, wouldn't that mean the government essentially admitted that it's true? Uh, and Robin says, like, well, you know, the scholars in Ohara had to perform all this research from ancient texts so with your status couldn't you learn the truth from the government and Vegapunk once like no <laughs> i couldn't i'd be killed for trying for just speaking about this uh but when robin asks like how he did learn about it he says the will of ohara still lives Aww. which which is Kind of like just crammed into a small panel in the corner of the page. It feels like a really big line to, to be saying. It there. is a big moment of just like, oh, thank God. Like that that is probably like it's in a fight for like the saddest backstory, and it's like nice to be like it they didn't like because as we'll find out in a moment, like their efforts yeah. meant something. It they there they did protect yeah. the history. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, Vegapunk recaps like you know, the the past that Robin experienced that led her to being, you know, an incredibly wanted person when she was just a little girl, uh, and how all these scholars were trying to overturn the world government. And then there was, you know, a trip to the charred remains of Ohara. I'd known the great archaeologist Dr. Clover in life and thought it appropriate to pay my respects to his memory. And I was like, you knew Professor Clover? And I'm like, you knew Professor Clover? Clover? <laughs> I recognize his face. I can't forget that weird face, but I did not remember his name. So I, I forgot that there was a specific person at the OR library, but yeah. Because uh, he was apparently obsessed with the Void Century, traveled all over looking for rare uh, texts until he was arrested and then broke out of prison and then arrested. It happened 10 times, which made him the most famous archaeologist in the world. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, so then O'Hara became a sacred land for archaeology and their brilliance was the cause of their tragedy. I set foot on O'Hara, but wait, the figure that sets foot on O'Hara Looks very different from any of the Vegapunks we've seen up to now. What could that silhouette mean? Mm. Uh, and uh, Vegapunk says, yeah, when I when I got there, I saw the whole that the tree of knowledge had been burned to the ground. And what I saw stunned me. The lake in the center of the island was full of a massive collection of books and papers of all kinds. I suspect as the Buster Call burned down the island around them, the scholars of O'Hara made their final stand and died protecting the fortune they wished to leave behind for the future. Ignorant soldiers would not have the ability to recognize the value of what they were seeing. O'Hara won. When I saw and understood what had happened, it left me helpless to stop the tears from coming. Which I feel like if you're, you know, like, the guy from the Navy and you come and see like a, a, a giant pit full of books you might think that it's somehow important because they're all in a pit, but whatever. 
I, I think in their mind, they were like, hey, we, uh, we fucking, you know, we blew up all the buildings and all the people, so we're fine now. Yeah, books can't, you know, punch you. It, is, it does also exist in this place where the Buster call at one time was meant to be like, oh, this is what happens when the Navy absolutely wants to, and like the world government wants to eradicate like something from existence. Now we know there's also a much more powerful version of that that would have probably ensured those books were gone. So it is a kind of curious thing to think about that maybe mm. like at the time Emu didn't have like wasn't like this has to happen. This was just like, you know, the the five whatever five elder stars or whatever their names are just being like, mm. we got to handle this. Use the buster call. Maybe they didn't have access to the weapon before. Yeah. Uh, Robin. Flashes back to, you know, her last moments with her mother, where she, you know, told her, look, I still have things to do. Uh, and, I've, you know, and she says, Robin, history is humanity's greatest asset. We cannot give up on the future of the world. And then, you know, sent her off to be safe. Uh, and um, <laughs> sad things happened later after that, let's just say. <laughs> Robin's crying. Um, which is like, yeah, earned makes makes sense. She's you know reliving you know her, some of the saddest moments in her life, uh, which of course gets Sanji angry about it. Uh, but and he's like, I'm gonna get you, Vegapunk, once you release my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, they say like Ohara uncovered the existence of the ancient kingdom, and Vegapunk said, so then it's, it's the truth. Uh, and uh, when Robin Watt asked where the books from the lake are, he says, I wanted to take them back to Punk Hazard with me, but if my superiors had heard about it, all would have been lost. And the truth is, I encountered quite a combination of people that day. And we flash back to 22 years ago, months after the Buster call, and we get a look at Vegapunk's real face, bit by bit by bit. <laughs> First of all, he's got a big mustache and his tongue is sticking out. This seems like an Einstein reference to it me. Is, it is an Einstein reference, I believe. Uh, so he's got, you know, some some people lifting books out of this pit with netting. Uh, no, he doesn't have anyone doing it. There are giants who are doing this. There's a particular giant that's involved in that, Nick. I can't see them. It's, <laughs> it's the panel's too small. Uh, one of, one of the giants is Harjudin or Hardriden. What the giant who's a member of Luffy's uh, Straw Hat Alliance, basically, who has like a small crew of giants. Gotcha. Okay. But as Vegapunk is observing these giants lifting all these books up, someone calls for his attention uh, from behind him and says, "Oh, it's been a while, Vegapunk." Not that I had to guess it was you, thanks to that head of yours. And Vegapunk turns, and it's Dragon. And then we see that Dr. Vegapunk's brain is too big. <laughs> he's very, he's a very smart boy. It's, that's how he has uh, very, very brilliant ideas. How is this man alive? His brain is taking up too much blood <laughs> for the rest of his body to pump air, oxygen to everything. Uh, yeah, so Dragon... Uh, greets Vegapunk. Uh, he also has like a freaking bouquet of flowers to offer in remembrance for the country of Ohara. Uh, and um, so also, also appear, it appears to be for Clover because apparently yes. Dragon knew Clover. Everyone knew Clover, dude. Clover was so cool. It was, everyone knew him. So it was great. Yeah. Uh, 
Vegapunk speaks in a very weird way for a little bit, and I'm not sure if it's just the division of the page, the, why the word bubble is split like this, or or what. But it's very weird. I believe uh, it is meant to be intentional, but yeah, it is it is tough to explain because he does talk kind of normally later on. They uh, talk just kind of like casually for a little bit, uh, and then Dragonio mentions the, the, the giants, and uh, he says, they're not thieves, I already looked into it. They come from Elbaf, and they know what those books down there are worth. Their captain was a strange man, all covered in bandages. He said, O'Hara gave their lives to save this asset of humanity. We can't let it be erased from history. Uh, so that's all going on. Uh, and, uh, he also says like, look, we can't let your world government, you know, destroy the books. Uh, but Vegapunk's like, I'm not doing that. Uh, and Dragon says, look, made me sick to hear the news that you're a government lapdog now when you were too good to accept our offer to join the freedom fighters. <laughs> so sassy and bitter. I-, I like sassy dragon. That's, that's who I want to get to know a little bit more. <laughs> Vegapunk justifies himself by saying that he needed the resources of the world government in order to, you know, make full use of his intellect. Uh, and he also says, look, this is a massive organization you're talking about. And within the Navy, there are many reasonable people to be found. So don't lose sight of the goal, Dragon. Uh, and Dragon says, I know, but I'll admit, this one really shook me for the crime of speaking their mind. <sighs> Bunch of academics were killed. <laughs> Cool. Uh, but he says, like, and I'm going to invent but a military But it's okay, Nick. Force. One Piece isn't political. It's not. No. No. It's just about fun pirate adventures yeah. and nothing else. Yeah. Uh, Dragon says, I'm going to make a military force, and it'll be, and it'll have a girl with glasses and a guy who's like my son's brother, but not as good. Um and also there'll be a robot guy there and then he'll go away but then he, but he won't have actually gone away he'll have actually been working for me the whole time i don't know it's nebulous it's kind of hard <laughs> look it's hard for me to set up all at once okay i'm gonna need like 25 years to tell this yeah story. in the okay. same way that like luffy in like chapter one or two of the manga was like i'm gonna have a crew of 10 people this is this is dragon calling to shot he's like i'm gonna have a crew i'm gonna have like my son's brother kind of sucks and like a girl wears a hat who could do karate i guess and like another karate guy and a robot and then i'm gonna have like a bunch of weirdos as my commanders like just like wild designs all over the place one's a cat dude i don't know if i'm ever gonna explain that but one's a cat guy (laughs) We tease it out over several adventures, just like Luffy every so often with Pepper and how he wanted a musician. (laughs) Uh, Vegapunk one draws the story to a close by saying that before the year had even ended, he had joined up with Ivankov and Kuma made the revolutionary army. Uh, This is like some of the most that the Straw Hats have ever actually heard about Dragon to this point. So they're reacting to this uh, and they're also like, wait a minute, the, the Dragon knew Clover, what the hell? Uh, and everyone's like, there's so much backstory. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I love that. There's two pieces here. Like, this is what they kind of discover. Like, wait, Kuma was working with the revolutionaries. Why? Why was this going on? Why did you make him a cyborg? And it's like Sanji's like, 
And Ivan Khan was a founding member of the Revolutionaries, proving that Sanji really did spend no time talking to people during the two-year time skip. He, he just spent it running, running away, which is very sad. That feels like there could have been some good conversations there. Sanji, you could have had a friend. <laughs> you could have learned so much fucking information if you weren't so goddamn transphobic. It is wild. Uh, Vegapunk one says that look, we can't allow the government to discover O'Hara's library still lives. So out of personal interest, I traveled to Elbaf in secret and read all the books they rescued. In other words, all the world's mysteries that O'Hara deciphered are right here in my brain, where I have carried on the great work of researching them. Also, he happens to meet someone covered in bandages. Hmm. Well, I mean. <sighs> So that moment is a very big one because it is the confirmation. I mean, we find it confirmed in the next panel or the next page, but uh, it is the confirmation that uh, Saul is still alive, which is mm. interesting in a couple ways. Um, it is exciting because you're like, oh, thank God. There's somebody who like Robin has like some kind of connection yeah. to who's still alive, which is nice. Uh, also, he was one of the few D characters, and you're like, okay, so he does have like a larger role, I guess, to right. play in the story, which is intriguing. Yeah, Robin realizes that he had met with Saul, and, and she starts crying, but like big Aww. happy tears this time. It's like the most emo. This chapter was a big emotional workout for Robin, yeah. who's normally just like, oh, what a horrible thing is going to happen to us, and that's just kind of it. Um. Finally, uh, people still they still aren't released from their boots. Vegapunk's like, no, nope, you're all coming with me. And they all just start sliding along the floor because he's like, I've got to show you guys something. So come here. Uh, doesn't trust any of them to walk. None of them. Um, go back over to Luffy's group. They've just found this giant armor robot. Uh, and uh, Luffy gets done investigating the helmet and he realizes there is no place to ride around inside. This must have been a robot that goes by itself. So then Chopper and Luffy start calling out commands to try and wake up the robots uh, like it's like a go-go gadget thing. Um, and Bonnie starts to say, you guys are such idiots. That thing's not going to start. And then this thing, this sound rings out. Uh, it's a, uh, a blam. Luffy briefly thinks the robot exploded. Uh, I mean, it's still there, but... Um, but there is a person that's 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 sticking out of of the robot halfway, ha like half of his body is sticking out, and it's very clearly Vegapunk, although his head's a lot smaller than it was uh, in the past, and his, the top of his head is the top of an apple, but it's also separated from his head, so it's like sticking out by the stalk. It's yep, weird. <laughs> all, all of these are correct details you're now providing. Uh, and also, he says, I requasar help. And if this is going to be his thing, like, I'm not going to like it. Uh, <laughs> if he says requasar instead of require a whole bunch. Uh, but yeah, he's, he, he calls for help. Uh, and Luffy tries to tug him out of the robot. And uh, he successfully comes out. Bonnie recognizes him as Vegapunk, the person who, you know, turned her dad into a freaking cyborg. Vegapunk also recognizes Bonnie and says, oh, you've grown up so much. And he starts floating from from uh, up in the air. Uh, and they're like, wait, how is he floating? And he looks down and is like, oh, you're all wearing the boots, too. 
okay, uh, yeah, if you push the button on the side and grab the lever, then push it down, then you can all fly and they start flying and that's where the chapter ends. Uh, it's a very, very weird sequence of events in this two page spread, two pages that happen. Yes, it is. It is a very wacky and wild ending to it. So uh, that's a lot of stuff that happened. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's so much stuff going on. Uh, a lot of details we find out. Uh, we very directly state, guys, the Elbaf arc is coming because that is 100% clearly where we're going to be heading after this. Um, and I'm very, very excited that for multiple reasons. Uh, it's a very sad chapter in like a good way for Robin getting to find out like, hey, O'Hara's sacrifices mattered. And not only that, Saul's still alive. So you, you may get the chance to see this character again, uh, which is very, very nice. Uh, we get some lore background and all those sorts of things. There's like a lot of cool little details happening. I think the big reveal of like here is officially Vegapunk now is like a cool, satisfying thing after like four weeks of being like here are the side designs. But here is Vegapunk himself and a very Oda design, which I did. Yeah, that is that is a design. <laughs> hate how long his tongue is so much <laughs> it's too long but yeah I, I think it was a fun chapter and i like the way it just ends like it's it's a very chaotic and silly one piece where he's like hey your boots can fly and they all shoot towards the screen i don't know why he has an apple uh, I, I, he does I, nick stop asking questions and accept it I, I swear, if the explanation for this is, well, it's because, you know, he, he he has a lot of offshoots. So, like, you know, his brain power is now divided amongst the robot bodies. But why does he have an apple dome? <laughs> <Maybe, laughs> this, is, this is going to go up there on, like, things in one piece that have haunted me because there is no reason for them. <laughs> I shall see. Um, yeah, that's it, everyone. Thanks for joining us for the Kamaga Recap. Favorite chapter in MVP. Uh, I'm going to give my favorite chapter. I think I'm going to give it to One Piece. I think it was a really fun and nice little adventure uh, or not adventure, but chapter where we got some like extra content and like context for things and like just nice seeing Robin kind of happy for once. Finally, I totally get that. I'm going to give my favorite chapter to uh, Spy Family. I thought it was very, very funny. And that's about all I can say about it. Uh, and I'm going to give my MVP. I think I'm going to give it to Vegapunk just for the big design and the wackiness of it is pretty satisfying. There were a lot of other good contenders this week, but I think I think that weird ass design is what's going to make me kind of remember him and, and feel like I need to give it to him this week. Uh, I feel like my MVP is going to be uh, is going to be Master Hasho from Akane Banashi. Uh, just like it's very blunt what he does uh and there is something about the way that he does it so politely uh and yet is so like cuts akane down so hard in, in doing so that really was kind of like a big wake up like oh yeah this is gonna have consequences for akane so uh out of all the characters this week that was kind of the biggest surprise there were yeah a lot of really noteworthy chapters this week uh some very happy and fun and some very very trying in their emotional uh uh torment that they put me through yes. so 
The audience, Oof. by the way, picked Anya as their character of the week. And for the series of the week, there's a tie between One Piece and the Ichinose family's deadly sins. Okay. I must be wrong. So <laughs> I think people liked it. We can too. I don't know why it sounded like an old timey like care. Hey, hey, come on, man, Nick, you gotta get over there. These kids like it here. Now, if you meet me down at the pier at four hundred o'clock, I might be able to tell you something you don't know. Four hundred o'clock? Just show up there, you numb nothing. It's also gonna. Is this also gonna happen in the seventeenth century Japan? <laughs> We're gonna get on our horses and ride off into whatever seventeenth century Japan people did. I don't know, adobes. What? We built adobes out of mud. <laughs> okay, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for week invented ping recap. pong. <laughs> Do the show every week here on Twitch.tv/slash/reload. Wednesdays at seven thirty ish Eastern time in the evening, but you can stay updated on when exactly the show goes live by following us on social media. Uh, Reload Nick F Time, WMR Podcast are our accounts. You can also join the Discord server of Weekly Manga Recap and join our community uh, as they discuss uh, new chapters as they come out, the uh, series that we are working on for our recommendation, uh, which in, in is currently Crossing Time. Crossing uh, Time. Don't, so, don't, okay. don't. <laughs> <laughs> something, something, something. Uh and uh, other stuff. And you can also use the Discord server to find the Google Doc that is maintained by Ninja X3i, which keeps track of all sorts of statistics associated with the show, including recommendations that we have worked on and a list where you can make your own recommendations for us to potentially cover in the future, as well as uh, like reward stuff voting, which is going to be happening sooner than you might think. There's not yeah, a whole lot left in this calendar year. So if you if there's a particular moment that you think deserves recognition, uh, then that's the place to go to. For yeah, you did that. one vote this year, everybody. Now it's time for the important vote. WMR superlatives. Uh, please turn out uh, in a way that's better than things were in my state. Okay, so uh, that's gonna do it. We will be back with you guys next time. You can, by the way, if you want more Weekly Manga Recap, you can check out weeklymagarecap.podbean.com iTunes, Spotify, video version is on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash recap, which also has tile cards made by Steve Mann, uh, Steve Mann Art on Twitter and in various other places. Uh, and also with an Maybe opening sequence. Maybe Tumblr again. You can start drawing boobs Maybe. That's right. Stuff. Sometimes sometimes he draws the hardcore. So maybe not. But maybe, maybe, maybe. just boobs. You might be able to maybe. find there. <laughs> Uh, and uh, title cards done by, uh, by Steve Mann and uh, opening sequence done by Winsley Little Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz. Thank you guys for that. And thank you as well to everyone who supports us on Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash Weekly Manga Recap where you can find bonus content for your helpful subscription. And there's a new episode right now. If you want to listen mm-hmm. to it, I explain the plot of One Piece film Red to Nick. And give him all the details he needs to know. Because this booby, one day it might be canon. You never know. I mean, it's not. But one day it could be. It is, but it's definitely not. It's definitely but 100% it's, yeah. not. But it's not not canon. Look, if you want to know the truth, we've got the deets. Patreon subscriber. Yeah. And I get to remember know the truth. every important detail. No one had to correct me on anything. In all, in all seriousness, it is actually a 
I feel fantastic episode that we yeah. did. Uh, so you should check it out, guys. Fun times. Uh, I think that's it. That's everything. Yeah. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time. You have any wild uh, weekend plans, Nick? Wild? No, I yeah. never have wild plans. Okay. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna maybe watch wrestling. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Interesting. Maybe. I don't know. I'm tired. Yeah, I, maybe right. I'll just sleep all weekend. <laughs> I. <laughs> You're going to become York. You're just like, I, I'm sleeping and shitting and eating for a Nick that I don't know so they can be productive somewhere else out in the world. She wasn't even in this chapter. <laughs> you, that's just a mentality I put into my mind. Look, Sometimes York. I exist that way saying I need to take a giant shit and then immediately go to bed because somewhere out there is a productive Quinn who needs me right now. Look, we got all of this very helpful backstory and information and lore from Vegapunk 1, and it was all made possible by Vegapunk 6's massive yeah, dumps. Yeah. Never yeah. forget. Never forget. All right, bye, everybody. <laughs>